Shane from Underground Tracks came down from Busan and joined us for a Saturday afternoon chat. We finally set the record straight for the spelling of his name and how he's come to have so many aliases. He speaks about his entrepreneurial ambitions, some online future projects, music, his sweet studio, and the big move in his near future. An absolute gem. So sorry to hear that he's leaving Busan. Keep up the hard work, my friend. I love seeing people living out their dreams. Anyone who's currently in Korea or listening from abroad must check out K-Art by Juju. Juju's a mompreneur who has recently started to share her beautiful artwork with the world. She creates Korean letter abstract art with traditional Korean hanji paper. I absolutely love watching her new stuff pop up on Facebook and Instagram. Every piece is like a little puzzle I have to solve. Uh, Her artwork can be found in many establishments across Western Canada and is available for purchase online. Check out K-Art by Juju on Facebook and Instagram. These are great for gifts and custom orders are available. Check her out. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Brian and Nate. You listen to a couple of those samples, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, the website's got a couple of the samples on it. I I pretty much use that as my marketing tool just essentially because... At the end of the day, I don't like sounding like a used car salesman when it Mm. comes to business. I think when I first started a business, it was like that, you know? I assumed you needed a business card. Mm. I assumed you needed to talk to people at bars. Mm. I assumed you needed to take every shot and shoot every bullet you had and every opportunity. Uh And when it came down to it, it's like exhausting. It wasn't part of my character. It uh, it didn't work. So in the end, I ended up working with a bunch of people I didn't really care about that didn't care about me. Um, and I learned like slowly that like the best way to build a following and to get good at your art is just, yeah, put, put out good shit. Mm. And then after you do that, other people will hear it and go, wow, I also make music and I've seen that band play live and I'm as good as them. So I'm also going to do that. (laughs) And then, and then they come. Yeah. Just, just looking. Wow. Another duster. (laughs) <laughs> Look at it. Oh, another well, Olson's a great example, right? So, like, I oh, for knew, dusters? I knew, yeah, of dusters. No, I knew Patrick from recording a, a ways back. I think I recorded with him in 2016, and then um, we've always kind of been in contact and with Andy as well. Andy Bonington, yeah. he's a new yeah. musician in town. Yeah, so I've worked with him a few times on different projects, uh, and then you know Patrick came around with this new band and they wanted to record a song. So we had a little meeting. And again, not within like a week, Mm. Zach contacted me Mm. about recording music. And I'm like, this is the way it works. They they come in spades and then you won't, you won't, you know, you won't hit a 21 for another three months. All right. Good times. Let's, uh, let's fire it up here. Kind of sounds like we've already started. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, welcome back to another episode of This Korean Life, number 65, featuring Shane Cole. Can we please nail down? the name of what we should call you or give us uh give us the story behind uh the c-h-e-y-n-e yeah i've got a lot of pseudonyms i guess so we can kind <laughs> yeah. of bury into this quick here um my name is shane cole the spelling is really messed up um i've told nate the story at hockey before <laughs> but like uh so it starts uh, a while back so my parents are divorced they divorced when i was like one possibly before i was one actually maybe 10 months mm. and um actually like my birth my dad was running, uh, managing a bar in my hometown in Musha. Mm-hmm. And like he was working. And uh, my mom didn't call him. Nothing against my mom. I love my yeah. mom. She, she won't listen to this podcast. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> she didn't call my dad when she was going to labor. 
So right. my dad straight up missed my birth. <laughs> yeah. And like they were still together, right? So yeah. like this kind of like, I guess when I get, I don't know, if you're in a toxic relationship, you yeah. kind of like know, but you don't know how to get out. Yeah. yeah. Already, they already had a kid together. <laughs> um, so anyways, my dad closed the bar down that night. My godfather, his name's Jack. Uh, he also worked there. So him and Jack spun a cap off a bottle, drank the whole thing. Yeah. And after the bottle was empty, my dad wrote on a napkin the name Shane, spelled the way you see it here today, C-H-E-Y-N-E. <laughs> and, uh, and he presented the napkin to my mom the next day at the hospital and says, you made me miss the birth. This is his name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like uh, the reason why it's spelled this way, I mean, I think that my dad has come up with other reasons why, but like I maybe the night, this is what they said. But he he tells me that he named me and my other siblings, completely normal names. Right? Um, Brad, Mac, uh, you know, Lauren. Uh, so my name is weird, but his name's Dwayne, spelled D-U-A-N-E. Mm. And he said oh. when he was in school, because normal is like D-W-A-Y-N-E, right? Um, so he said when he was in school, like teachers would get his name wrong mm. or just like not know how to ever think it's a foreign name yeah. not how to, you know what teachers are like you yeah. put one wrong letter in there and they don't my last name is Giro Lametto no one can no one can yeah I wouldn't even try girl girl but I just thought <laughs> this was the standard Saskatchewan style spelling Oh, I wish it was. <laughs> I but, just blamed it on Saskatchewan. I'm going to be honest. I am highly Googleable, which yeah. I don't know. It's mm. either an advantage or a disadvantage. Knew, because man. my name is like pretty unique. There's one surfer that has the same name. Uh, I think it's the same first and last name. And then uh, when I was a kid, we were watching the news one time and we had like American stolen satellite TV. You know, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Direct TV. And yeah. we were like watching some local news somewhere there. And there's like someone on the run with the same name as me. Yeah. <laughs> like same first name. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, dad, like what the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, so he chose my name like this because Dwayne is spelled weird and he wanted one of his kids to suffer. So essentially that was me. Maybe maybe he <laughs> was. Blessing about... in disguise. He didn't know the internet was coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no doubt. Maybe there's like a little uh, a little boy named Sue kind of thing in there too. There how, might be. Yeah. How do you do? You can grow up and be a... Be whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> coming from the guy that wouldn't let me watch Barney. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's... We... we... We run in a little bit of the same circles between the two cities, between music and hockey. And I just think it's hilarious that I learned your name as Cheney. Oh, yeah. And that's what it looks like here. And I, you say buyer, but everybody I knew, Josh, all those guys called you Cheney. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, well. Well, there's a degree me that actually doesn't know if they know how to say my name, right? So, because... so then when, when, when Zach or these other guys start saying, isn't his name Shane? No, like, they call no the music guys call you Shaw. Right. So this yeah. is and this is another whole story. Like this name story can run deep, right? So Shaw actually comes from how many passports you got? <laughs> you know, the best passport is two. Uh, no, the uh, the Shaw thing came about because I had a friend who's South African. Uh, he was a, a studio uh, client of mine that ended up turning into like a close friend. Um, he was doing the old side hustle, you know, doing some teaching when he probably shouldn't have been. Um, and someone reported him and he's pretty sure who reported him Jeez. but the biggest problem is that when he was doing his illegal activities mm. um he was using his real name so he was using his full name uh. and he couldn't get out of it so, so it's good to have seven names the problem with him made me realize and and he actually he kind of blew it out of proportion to some degree like mm. he didn't get kicked out of the country mm. 
but he lost his job and he would have had to change visas and do all this. Mm. So the day that he told me this happened, he's like, bro, I'm getting kicked out of the country. Oh. And I, and I, and we were, we were actually having a house party. This for, is pre COVID. This is like yeah. 2017, 2018. And uh, I think it was 2018. They can't maybe. kick you out for that though, can you? No, no they got to pay, yeah. Right? You got to pay a fine. But and... of course, all of us unresearched and, yeah. you know, half cut. Thinking, yeah. You, oh my God, you're getting kicked out of the country. Yeah. And the first thing I'm thinking is like, how much money have I made in cash over my life in Korea? Yeah. How can I protect myself? And how can I go forward, continuing to do the things I care about and not step in in someone's, you know, yeah. crap? Carry and, the Bible. Right. Christian and, rock. The, Preaching the word. The number yeah. one volunteer, baby. The number one thing for me <laughs> for is Lord. just like be a good person. Yeah. And most people aren't going to like mess with you. But there are always like vindictive, sure. like whatever people out there. And you just don't want to be a target to those people. So like Absolutely. a guy like Zach, I introduce myself as Shaw mm. until I really have a relationship with him. And once, <laughs> once he has my name. And then you're Chaney. And, and, then, then, well, and then I'm, I'm Chaney. <laughs> but the thing is, is most of those guys never actually seen how my name was spelled. Because yeah. they're like, Kakao, it's Shaw. Ah, On emails, okay, okay. it's Shaw. So like, I don't actually blame Zach. Because Zach definitely at one point thought my name was Shaw, as most clients do. Yeah. Unless I actually know them. And then eventually yeah. it's like, oh, no, but my name's Shane. It's confusing. <laughs> don't worry about it. This is my producer name. Just didn't so. want you to report me to the cops. <laughs> yeah. Ah. So in the end, hockey name started out as the Civ for the first six months. <laughs> oh. And then he let us know that it was a different spelling for Civ, and it was the C H E Y. Yeah. So Shaw is, uh, you know how like rappers have their like rapper names. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're Lil Shaw. <laughs> yeah. So like, if I ever do have a hip hop, yeah, this is it. it. Their name Shaw. is Shane, and they spell it C H E Y. You're too. Yeah, that's what the rappers do. I'm just missing the Lil at the front of it. <laughs> you're two Chaneys. <laughs> that's actually good. I should use that. Two Chains. Two Chaneys. That'll be my Russian rap name. <laughs> oh, good times. Thanks, Thanks for fun. clarifying that. Now we got to put out a public service announcement for the for the general public. Here. Yeah. Oh, oh dude. Who is this guy? So there's Shaw, there's Shane, and there's Chaney from the hockey folks. So it's kind of spread out. But even, dude, I was so embarrassed. To, I mean, Nate put us in touch when we were looking for new mics. Yeah. And you called me, and I was like, "Hey, what's up, Chaney?" And you're like, "No, no, sorry, it's." And my kids yelled something at the same time. I was like, "Oh, he just said his real name." Shit, his name's not Cheney. And then I just I just had to like keep going along with it. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Zach's like, it's Shaw. And they said, No, it's Shane. I'm like, oh fuck what is Oh, what and a then, great like uh oh, I've, I've good lord. a legend. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But 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 it kind of goes with Korea. Names here are a funny thing. I've yeah. known people for ten years and I'm Nay too. And then they say, Oh, can I get your ID or something for yeah. and never had to they've never they they just know me as Nay too. And then they go, Mendigo Tiberio <laughs> Monatania. Huh? <laughs> Your name is Nay too. And I'm like, no, no. Like, yeah. That's just the easiest way. But yeah, it's funny. And then like some guys will say, Mendigo, Mendigo. Because I used to say Mr. Mendigo for, for young kids. Yeah. Because you can't say, hey, teacher, hey, teacher. That, they don't do that in Korean. Anyways, and then we'd be walking down the street and someone would say, hey, Mendigo. And someone would say, Nay too. And they well, how many names do you have? That's just my name, but sure. you all do it differently, and it has to be three syllables, so you just, whatever floats your boat. Nice. But anyways, Korea's got a, a funny thing with names. To be honest, like, names are a really funny one, and like, Nate, I'm not going to lie, the first time I read your name, I put an N in there, I thought you were Mandingo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, everybody does. And even when I lived in West Africa, they thought, and they were like... That's they, where the legend my, started, eh? My passport and my ID card, and they're like, Madingo? 
<laughs> so close. White so close. <laughs> and they were like, they couldn't believe there was a white Madingo. And they're, I, I don't know, that's one of the biggest tribes in West Africa. Oh, I was talking about the, the porn, porn star. star. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, I think that's where that comes from. Must be, yeah, yeah. Must be. The Madingo tribe in West Africa is one of the biggest. Oh, that uh, makes right. sense. That's so actually that a really clever name. Yeah. To the, to oh, the porn star. Mad respect for his no, porn but, man. But, that is actually <laughs> yeah. That's good joke. But anyway, and then my dad comes and he's got his Canadian Green Commission card that says Chief Gordon Madingo. And they're like, Chief Madingo? <laughs> they're like, is the original Madingo tribe in Canada? Anyways, we, we couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, it's not Madingo. Read the thing. It says Mandigo. It's not Madingo. Oh, man. But they just couldn't they couldn't get over it. They're like, how are these two big white guys, the heads of the Madingo tribe, yeah. and they live in Canada? Anyways. Well, was. this is the thing that I learned in Korea. Like, actually starting to teach in Korea, I kind of learned that I didn't know how to read. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm just, like, I'm not even joking. Like, when I first started teaching Korea, I couldn't actually read. Yeah. I just memorized a lot of Sight words. words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. I didn't know phonics. When yeah. I was in school, they didn't teach phonics. I don't mean to sound like a dummy, but, like... When I started to actually have to teach, like, how do you say this word and why? I was, like, blown away. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Like, that's, this is, that's something this I think we all... learn a real You're going to scare all the students' moms who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's something we all go through, man. Oh, yeah. It's, like, an incredible learning curve being, like, it's... it's... There's lots, lots of things that you learn when, when teaching. But when kids... I yeah. just said the teachers couldn't read my name, but... a a kindergarten student here, Ken. Yeah. You show him like, oh, Giro Lametto. I'm like, that's exactly how my grandpa says it. Wow, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And kudos yeah. to your teaching skills then because yeah. that means... Oh, no, no, no. It's that's great not... phonics. <laughs> my kids still can't tell the difference between A and E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's pivot here and get on with the show. Growing up. Saskatchewan. I yes, mean, the old uh, I got, land of the living oh, sky. I got great memories, horrible memories, love it, hate it. It's kind of one of those places. I don't know. I think What's it like growing up there? If you describe Saskatchewan to anyone, um, depending on their background, they'll either think that sounds terrible mm. and hell on earth. Like Mars. Or they're <laughs> going to think that that sounds like the coolest, most amazing place to grow up. So the if thing you about, stop after Aurora Borealis. Yeah. like, And that's it. That's the, the whole sky is <laughs> insane. Every yeah. single winter... Pretty much anywhere across the province in Saskatchewan, you can see dancing aurora. Like it's, no way. It's incredible. I thought that was just in the northern part, no? No, you can see it pretty well everywhere. Really? Oh, it's, in Winnipeg, in the summer, say in the summers, you get it in Saskatchewan. Too. You do get it in summers. No Winter in, in Winnipeg, you get it all the time, too. No way. It's incredible. Huh. Um, it means north of Toronto. There's also mm, some get out of Toronto. really, there's some really, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it, yeah, that uh, is quite, uh, like tornadoes and, and stuff in Saskatchewan. Mm. It's kind of like, I don't know, Canada's version of Tornado Alley. I don't yeah. know if it actually <laughs> officially extends upwards that far, but like, that's where it is. There's like tornado hunters that come to Saskatchewan with their huge vehicles. Oh, yeah. They like anchor into the ground and it's no way. Wild, man. Yeah. There's some wild stuff in Saskatchewan. Oh. But it's the big empty, right? Like mm. there's nothing there. Mm. If you want to go for a drive okay, yeah, for who's, six who's hours, is that? Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there's like uh, there's like six hours drive that you can easily do all on off beaten roads because the whole province is gridded, mm. which means like every 15 kilometers there's a dirt road mm. and they all intersect like squares. Yeah. So you no. fly over Saskatchewan and it kind of looks like a waffle. Yeah. Everything is just like, perfectly cut up, you know. Nice. Um, the beauty about that is you can get in all kinds of trouble as a kid and no one knows. Like you yeah. can have fun, you can go out with your friends, you can drive on the dirt road. You can. It's you can still, be out it's of the, still the Wild West. It really is. Yeah, it's the Wild West. But with that, 
um, you go into the city and like things close early. Everyone's like uh, everyone's pretty old in Saskatchewan. I mean, not like Korea, but yeah. like um, compared to somewhere like Toronto, people are old. Um, That's something I felt going back home last time too. Like things close early. Just living here for so long, you're like, so used to like two in the morning being like the just start neon of the lights <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. weird going home like nine nine p.m. Everyone's closed and Isn't going home weird? to enjoy their life. Like what? <laughs> what yeah, what every restaurant doesn't have piles of green bottles till early hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big adjustment for sure. And um, maybe that's the one thing that like, so I'll eventually be moving back, not to Saskatchewan, but like, um, you're going to TO. Yeah. And the big adjustment really is the fact that like convenience in Korea is insane. Like, nice. if you're going to, if you're going to like rate the things of Korea that I love, okay. convenience is a hundred percent topped out. I don't think there's yeah. anywhere else in the world that's more convenient than Korea. You can get anywhere you yeah. want, super cheap and, and super quick. Um, if you have something that you need, you just have to walk outside. It's like two steps. You want mm. coffee? Right there. You want a 7-Eleven snack? It's right you there. Do, you, you want a grocery have, just, store? It's right just there. Just do it on your phone. Yeah, and if, you're actually, <laughs> if you're actually lazy, you're right. You can just coupon eats, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just but right even But even the corona test, the pharmacy, that, like I said, I had, sure. I had the itch there. Walk across the street, small clinic. Don't even know what the guy could be a Mickey Mouse dog. I got no idea. Yeah, for sure. But you go in there, he goes, okay. Here you go. Walk across pharmacy, two bucks. Back home in five, mm-hmm. ten minutes max. Yeah. Prescription done. And I'm like, this would be like a half day event at home, man. <laughs> like, oh yeah, right. But yeah. Tio, pretty. When I stay there, when I go home, it's pretty compact. I mean, compared to Niagara, anyways. It's I guess pretty, so. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty convenient, I'd say. But have you have you traveled around Canada? Um, I've traveled a lot in the West. I've not done. I mean, I guess you could equate it to very little to none in the East. Mm. I've been to Toronto in the airports. I've never actually been out East. So I don't really know anything about it. Culturally, I I like a lot of like uh, Nova Scotian culture is pretty cool. I think it's really interesting. Um, But we just get sort of like diluted versions of that from people that move West. You know, Mm. like we might meet some people that were out East and we hear tales of their time out on the on the coast. So, yeah. so yeah, it's going to be a huge change for me moving from, you know, B-list city, Busan, and like, compared to Seoul's number one. You know, Seoul gets a lot of spotlight, but I actually think Busan's like the sickest city in this yeah. country. It reminds me of Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah. And like, I know, I know a lot more about Vancouver than I do Toronto. Yeah. And Toronto gets all the hype yeah. in Canada. So I'm, I'm excited to see how much of it lives up to the potential. You know, it's a, it's a completely different world as far as opportunities go. Like, um, there's a ceiling in Korea for, for us mm, as, yeah. as way gooks, mm. you know, um, the, uh, the ceiling really does depend on if you're married, like, yeah. are you able to be, uh, your own sovereign person and come up with your own ideas and, yeah. and, and use capital yeah. to your advantage to, to see if you can grow those ideas. Yeah. Um, if, if you're not, if you're like me, you're kind of limited in those areas. Yeah. So Absolutely. being able to go into like the, the largest, uh, fish tank and swim around for a bit will be super fun. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, uh, have you secured a spot yet? Do you know where you're going to be staying in Toronto? Oh, no idea. Oh, so, no idea? Yeah, this is going to be a complete adventure. I'm doing six months in uh, my hometown in Musha. Yeah. Visit family for six months. But I'm also like, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Mm. Like, this is something that you guys probably don't know about me. But like, the studio is one thing. Like, yeah. I do way too many things that I don't have enough time for. So, um, as an extension of the studio, actually, I started building websites because uh, originally I had... 
like most people do when they start with website stuff. Hey, I've got a business. Hey, I need a website so mm. people can find me. Uh, I started using a Squarespace website, which is like a builder online. You yeah. pay a flat fee per month. Yeah. Uh, the problem with Squarespace I started to find is that... This podcast brought to you by Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> this is me about to shit on Squarespace. So this oh. is what's fun. Yeah. I actually like... Uh, my experience there was that the website was slow. It was outdated. And it was restrictive. So I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do on it. And yeah. again, all I wanted is like a means to an end. I wanted people to come to my site. Mm. I wanted them to A, B sample music yeah. so that I could tell them without telling them that I'm good at what I can do. Yep. I wanted to show up reviews and I wanted them to be able to contact me. Mm. And I couldn't do that on Squarespace. It was costing mm -hmm. me money per month. Um, my SEO, which is like the search engine yeah. optimization, was terrible. Um, and I and I realized that I couldn't- I gotta change this. I couldn't, oh, <laughs> I couldn't no. do anything. Yeah. You know? I was totally restricted. So I learned WordPress. I knew how to code back from like, I'm a bit of a nerd. So like when I was a kid, I used to like hack MySpace um, back. You know, were you on MySpace back in the day? Uh, no. I had a girlfriend who used it. So there was, like, <laughs> there was like HTML templates that you would use. You could upload into your MySpace page. Okay. And these templates would put a background image in or change the fonts yeah. or change so like I would actually help like not help but I'd like I'd like download on the internet from pirating or whatever mm. some different templates and then I would rewrite the code so I'd like replace images or like change fonts, oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. or like there'd be like a this was made by so and so I'd like go and find that piece of code and like remove that snippet so it didn't say that <laughs> so I actually like learned how to code yeah. grassroots nice. and then all of that stuff came full circle again when I decided I'd learn WordPress and I'm like Okay, I already know HTML, and I'd studied PHP and HTML as well in uh, in uh, high school. There was a computer science course. Mm. I like avoided <clears throat> physics because there was a teacher at the school who was yeah. like scary, and like I didn't want to take a class from a scary teacher. Yeah. So I took like the computer wow. science nerdy way, and yeah. it turns out that that's way better for the world. No doubt, yeah. <laughs> way more useful for the world. Um, so yeah, the website um, rabbit hole for my studio, build the site for the studio, turned into a client that I recorded. Mm. Um, needed a website for his photography. He took photos for um, the American Navy. Mm. So he was stationed in Busan for like two years. Beautiful. Um, built his website. And then from there, uh, I built, you know, there's no liquid arts community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I built their website. Nice. Uh, and then it's just kind of snowballed. And it's got to the point now where I'm like, I had a, a shower thought one day. Yeah. How can I turn this skill into like a viable business model that would allow me to have more free time, mm. to have more capital, and provide a service that they're not getting anywhere else. Mm. Uh, most website builders on WordPress charge like between $3,000 and $5,000 for a build, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why everyone uses Squarespace, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it costs too much money. Um, Squarespace costs, like I don't know, like maybe $15 or $20 bucks a month, yeah. depending on what yeah, you do, yeah. or if you have a store, yeah. it's a bit more. But in general, most businesses back in Saskatchewan they're owned by older people, as we've said. It's like mm. an older community area. So we're looking at people that are between the ages of like 40 and 65, 70. No idea how to code. They have no yeah. idea even what the products are out there to even self-build. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like they wouldn't even find a Squarespace. And if they did, they would be out to lunch. Yeah. yeah. So they're paying hand over fist three to five grand to get a website built. And then these companies criminally are charging them like 80 bucks a month to maintain their website which I know that it does take a bit of work. Like you do need to keep the code um, refreshed. You need to make sure the plugins that you're using are updated. Yeah, yeah. You need to like, if Google changes a searchable trend, you need to get on top of it. Like within the last couple of years, they've changed how the search engine ranking works. Mm. And like mobile is the priority now. Well, they don't know Neil Patel? 
So um, the idea for me is I'm not going to charge people a penny to build their website. Mm. I'm just going to build it. I'm going to lock up a contract for a year mm. and I'm going to charge them 75 bucks a month, which is $5 less than what they're already paying for maintenance on their uh, site hell yeah. <laughs> in order to have a website that is faster than anything they've ever seen. Yep. It's perfectly optimized for um, for mobile phones and for use uh, on any device. Yep. Um, and yeah, basically the idea is that if I build fast quality websites for a hundred people, I don't have to work. Yeah. So that's the idea. And I've got my first client I'm working with right now. We're doing pilot right now because I actually nice. haven't launched the business. Yeah. Pretty simple plan. Wow. It's simple, man. Yeah. Like, I think in the end, simple uh, simple ideas uh, allow you to expand. Uh, and scale. So the idea for me is I'm going to go to Canada. I'm going to be able to walk in with a piece of paper mm. that shows them their website audit. Like your website takes, I'm not even can you have done this? Some of the businesses in Saskatchewan, it's like 30 seconds to load their page on my phone. Dude, ESL Ooh. hacker is brutal. It's I got, insane. Oh, yeah. So the website I'm building right now. Got two more clients. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fastest site that I've built so far is actually the last one I did, and it's for our actual business. Mm. The business is called Lionhead Web Design. Mm. Uh, I've got a rabbit. He's a lion head. Yeah. But like the, the idea is this logo. It's this rabbit wearing a lion's like Halloween costume. Oh, beautiful. And it's the idea that like your business might be small, but will make you look big. Beautiful. Yeah, nice, so like nice. that's the, the concept. And uh, speak just a quick and have you seen the one, the YouTube clip of the dog with the lion Halloween costume on it running around a park? Yep. I haven't seen that, yep. but it's no. a huge, it's a huge dog and it looks yeah. like a lion. <laughs> it scares the absolute shit out of people. You got this massive dog and they put a lion head costume. Dang, I need to hire like, that. It looks like a lion running through the park and it was like, Wah! Man, I need to hire oh that, uh, God, that dog for CC, CCTV like, uh, <laughs> advertisement in Canada. Oh, hey, man, that's that's funny. Funny. That'd be good. Well, that's funny. I'll tell you, that's a great idea, man. Yeah, that's so the, the, the end idea is that like, I'll be able to present them a website audit, show them where their website's failing, tell them how it's easily fixed, mm. and, and then also present to them a bill which is less than they're already paying. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's going to end up being a no-brainer. The difficult thing is scale. So I'm actually going to be training my girlfriend, Nina, mm. to help with A, designing, but also like customer support because it's like, yeah. there's going to be a lot of, of that. Um, and then just transitioning away to like live in Toronto, right? Like it's a different marketplace. We need uh, a different way to accumulate capital. Yeah. And I can't just teach at 50 grand a year in, yeah. in like, the <laughs> most expensive city in the world. Why, why TO? Um, TO is... Sounds uh, like you could work remotely. It's totally remote where I could and, do... And but it's that. a hotbed of... You want to be around people, well, right? TO yeah. is if you're great. Record, if you're recording and stuff. TO is great for awesome. the music scene. Exactly. Right. So right. that's where really this gets to flourish. And um, I'm going to be honest, guys. Like a studio business doesn't make a lot of money. Mm. We do okay. Like if you're good, you can do okay. If you're the best, you can do great. Mm. But I think that the bar for actually making a living on uh, recording music... You it's You've got to really grind. And yeah. I think that in Toronto, um, with the right amount of time, uh, I would be able to get to a point where I can make a living just on recording. Mm. But there's no way that as a side hustle, I'd ever be able to compete with the people that are dedicating, you know, 25, 30 hours a week on random. Because you know, musicians don't nine to five. Yeah, yeah. So like we're talking about recording between five o'clock and 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Well, who's got time for that if they've got a job or yep. kids other or shit, all yeah. these other things. So the idea for me is that if I can build up, um, you know, capital infrastructure around my 
my other business plans, I can actually do the things I care about. And yeah. I, do, I, I like building websites. It's fun. You get to design yeah. stuff. It's like kind of like, I don't know, it's like painting for me. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Yeah. But um, you know, like when it comes down to like making music, it's the greatest thing that I've ever done. Like it's mm. the most fun thing that I've ever done. Mm. Uh, it's the most passionate thing that I think I have in my life. Um, but it's not the, uh, unfortunately, like making music. So there's this thing. It's called, there's this Venn diagram. It yeah. takes about four different Mm-hmm. sectors and they all ikigai. cross ikigai yeah. Thank ikigai you. yeah i know yeah, that you yeah. know ikigai right yeah, yeah. so like we got him here <laughs> i've been on the ikigai. i've been on the pursuit of ikigai <laughs> for my entire life hell yeah i think it's uh that's that was my tinder bio for a while yeah <laughs> i think it's important to like never like reassess like where you're at okay so like for me ikigai with the studio is i'm good at this mm. I love doing this. This is something that I can be paid for. And this is something that people desire. Yeah. Now, the two things, and, and I think that you can even, the fifth circle is, does it make the, the world a better place? So I think in general, like music can be the, all those things. Yeah. But the biggest one that's lacking is the financial support aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I can't currently make, if I dedicated, if I quit my job today yeah. and I started with the Busan market um, and the Korean music market, I couldn't make a living off this. Mm. Isn't there like a elitism in recording studios? Like there might be some studios which are really, really big and yes. they capture most of the market. That's pretty common, especially when you're talking about label projects. Um, personally, I think that most people have become a lot more savvy to the idea that those studios are more of a pocketbook drain than mm-hmm. they are. Like, I know that some people will want a song mastered at like Abbey Road because of the historical mm. context of Abbey Road. Mm. But like in general, most people are looking for the the, the cost uh, oh, yeah. effective. Zach, Zach spoke to that too. And he said the well, cost was a, was a big uh, thing. And that's why he went to use that. It was a, a reasonable a reasonable cost and he yeah. could get his, he can get his stuff recorded. But same thing. You're not a full-time musician. You can't afford to go. You, you can't afford those kind of places, right? Yeah, it's true. And like, in, and if you're not a full, exactly that. If you're not a full-time musician and you're working on teacher salary, the one benefit that I have in Korea is I know what every single foreigner makes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know yeah. what I can price myself at in the market. Mm. Unfortunately, that's not a price that I can like, make a living <laughs> yeah. from. Um, but it is a it is a price that allows me some flexibility. It allows me to grow my gear list, so I'm able to buy things that I need for necessity to yep. like help facilitate things that have been difficult. Yeah, so, yeah. one good example of that would be like recording drums used to be a nightmare. Hmm. I used to have to travel, tear apart my studio, yeah. take all my equipment, all my microphones, my computer, set up at either like a song room yeah. or like a bar. Oh. And then you're like relying on these other people to show up to open the doors. How's the drum kit? Oh, it's trash. Yeah. Yeah, we had a band in last night. There's beer all over it. The heads oh. haven't been changed in six months. You know, so then you're like, okay, so if these drums are going to sound better than like a plastic bag wrapped around a... Uh, four gallon pail yeah. i'm gonna need to change those heads yeah oh, all the symbols are you know cracked and broken oh. okay so i guess they're not gonna sound great so growing great. pains yeah <laughs> so like all these things kind of factored into this idea so okay i need to replace a drum kit how mm. am i going to do that in a cost-effective way so I, I all of my studio stuff that i have i think it's probably worth probably around 80 grand now oh. all the stuff yeah. it's a Jeez lot Louise. but we're talking like 10 years now yep. of accumulation when you got 30 bitcoins it's not a big deal <laughs> i wish i had 30 <laughs> bitcoins totally <laughs> actually so this is part of it like, right the uh well the uh 
buying the gear that you need is is important, but you you have to go through the growing pain of realizing you need it. I think the biggest mistake that anyone makes when they start a business is not starting lean. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. everyone starts with. Oh, we had. Where's our mics? Where's our old one? <laughs> Nate was. Uh, yeah, we were sharing oh, yeah, that. Sure. Sharing that for a while. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a lean business model, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just get the the mic that plugs directly into the computer, yeah. and then you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the the idea of starting lean was like my studio. I actually opened it with the idea of the name. Hmm. I had a computer like yours, like a mm. laptop with a small interface like this, yeah. and one microphone. Yeah, and boop. Underground tracks. I'm open for business. Yeah, like, yeah. I just had, I had an incredible amount of confidence and passion and I knew I could figure everything else out on the way. Yep. And uh, everything grew from that. You know, you make 200 bucks on a song when I started out and you buy another microphone. Mm. And yeah. you as realize, long as you're used to listening to music in a noribong after 26 sojus, <laughs> this will sound, sound good. <laughs> yeah, that's like... Uh, <laughs> when did you start it? Uh, I started in... Well, I started the business in 20, I want to say 13 or 14. Oh, okay. but, but you studied this in school, didn't you? I didn't. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? No. Nah. Um, th- so I will How actually, did you learn all this shit? I'll go on record and say I actually think that like recording school is a joke. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, I think it's one of those places where academia doesn't really help you get better in your field because mm. they're running off of outdated gear. They're yeah. teaching academia still. If you go to university, you'll be learning about tape. Okay, like... Who in the world is still using? Well, that's tape? what that's what uh, Dylan was talking about. He said, "I think he studied or played around he with that ADATs. stuff." When... Yeah, he was using recording on essentially like cassette tape, ADATs, yeah, and different things like this. And he like, said, "You're whatever you're doing is far above and beyond his." Uh, and, his and, and Dylan's not old, right? Like yeah. he was just in school, like yeah. what what ten years ago? Like yeah, not long. Yeah. So they're just way behind the learning curve. But what there is out there on the market is there are people that are really good at what they do, and they create free YouTube channels. Mm, yeah. You learn from them and then you find the characters that you actually think have value and you can buy you can buy programs. You can buy seats at the table with them. You can watch them mix songs. You can send them your mixes. You can you cool. can learn so much. I mean, yeah, there's so much opportunity out there now with the internet, especially That's in the, the internet space. the internet's changed everything. Who wasn't Musk the one who said universities just to prove you can do your chores? Yeah. yeah, and uh, the rest you can find online. Oh my you god! I thought you. Uh, I thought you did that. No, man. And oh, like, I guess shit. the first recording I ever did was my um, my uncle built a PC for my family in like I want to say like 2002. Mm. And I started. I was too nervous to sing, mm. but I started like recording guitar mm. uh, from a webcam microphone. Yeah. And I downloaded a program, which is like a prehistoric program now. But like, Loop, you loops. Could, like worse, man. Oh, I, I think it was called Cakewalk. Cakewalk. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, 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 yeah. It was like early days Cakewalk. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, I would record an acoustic guitar track, mm. and then you could, I think, on the free version of Cakewalk that I had, you could have like four tracks. Mm. Then yeah. I'd record like a lead guitar with it, and then I would like play my acoustic guitar and pitch yeah. it down like a bass. Cool, so I was eh? like, I was like actually like producing these silly recordings and yeah. sending it to my friends and like from a USB microphone on a PC in 2003, yeah. maybe something like but that. But that's, so. uh, that's where it starts, man. You can't, you know, a lot of kids, like you said, get into uh, get into a program or whatever. Like, I want to be a recording. I, I don't so, think yeah, that's how so it why starts. why aren't you doing yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I want to be a recording engineer. Cool. So what are you doing today? Yeah. To, like, well, I'm going to go to class in, in, <laughs> in four years. I can probably do something. I think that's why they need some of these guys going into the schools. And like Dylan, he invites some of his old friends from Florida or whatever on into the, the online classes he has here. Right. Just to try and, you know, give some guys some, some motivation, some some learning points anything some uh some people to look up to some role models that aren't just the f- most famous people online that you know or sure yeah in the news 
And I think if, if you, I mean, right? I mean, if we were best friends and my kids were watching you do all this stuff, I mean, they would take to it right away. Oh, yeah. Just like my brother's kids want to be firefighters and mine say they're going to be a teacher and a professor or whatever. I mean, mm. if they were around these people more often, they'd, you know, they'd have that chance. But, mm. yeah, not not so many opportunities for the average the average kid, but maybe that's something to well, I think Korea too, man, they might teach you that you need to learn from a from a professional yeah, always, you need always. like you couldn't possibly i had, I had a student i've mentioned before he was a pianist kid was unreal uh. unreal Her, i've heard him play a million times i'm like do you write anything teacher says i can't write anything i'm like not on 12 yeah, no, no. Uh, he, he, he was yeah. just going in or he was in high school i was like dude what do you mean and then he downloaded some whatever and he had like a little uh drum or I don't know. It was like a little box, and he could play the drums yeah. and this, and and he's adding things in and sending me his tunes. It was awesome. It well, it's awesome good that to you watch encourage him. that because like that is a really difficult transition for someone who's gone through classical training. Oh, or, he's, or, yeah, yeah. You know, even institutional training for mm. recording engineers or, yeah. or any field really. When you think about creative fields, how do you teach creativity? So a piano, you can learn how to play Beethoven, mm. whatever. Name the piece, the most yep. difficult, whatever the most difficult thing in the world. You could play that note for note yep. in perfection. But then someone sits down with a guitar and they're like, cool, so the chords are this. Can you play along with me? Like, kid, you know, I've had this scenario mm. several times throughout my time, like playing music and, yeah. oh, I want a piano player. Cool. I know that guy at school. He played at the talent show. He was really insane. Yeah. Oh, let's get him in the band. Okay, invite him over, you know, we'll have a jam session. He comes over. He doesn't just, know how to play piano. Just a square. Yeah. <laughs> he's really good at piano, but he doesn't know how to play it. He's yeah. memorized how to play it. But, it's but, the same as me saying I don't know how to friggin' read. Yeah, it's yeah, the exact same yeah. thing. But what, about, what, about, what about the similarity in teaching? It's I mean, I if you gave me a choice, I prefer no textbook. Oh, just yeah. let me just let me be me and let me teach the class. Any class, anytime, any group, whatever, give me to me. Yeah. No problem. But there's good teachers out there but you say go teach this class. is there a book is there a plan is there yeah. a mm -hmm. no just go if you're just filling in for an hour just or two hours just go yeah oh, what should i do <laughs> you're the teacher figure something out i don't know well i think you guys like you and i can like definitely um make stuff up on the spot there's sure. some people that struggle with the idea of uh the pressure of not having a plan can mm. be really difficult for a lot of people and i think that oh, that's, that's the one thing it's like it's, it's something you can learn though that, that, that's, that's where they're like being able to just improvise on the spot mm. because you never you never know if it's if it's driving a car or, or this doesn't work or that it's anything man it's yeah. all the time i think lots of mine comes from traveling and things don't work out all the time sure and you got it you got to figure so you got to figure a way to get across the river to, to whatever to get a visa whatever I it is you thrive under that pressure man yeah. like oh i like that like not think of, I'm, i have no idea what i'm teaching this class you just walk in you're like oh, oh i still don't know i still don't know <laughs> still don't know and you sit down like hey how was your weekend <laughs> and then there's just that explosion of oh, like great yeah. class. you know wow. yeah it's kind of sink or swim and the, the more you practice it the more you can i think it's maybe because it. we allow ourselves to navigate into the crevices mm. when we're teaching naturally when we're actually just being educators we allow ourselves to like reach into the areas and actually notice what is catching and what's not catching yeah when you're teaching from a book there's like it's it's just the surface of it, right? Mm. So they're they're you're seeing this thing that they're reading. Mm. You're helping them understand what it means, but there's nothing else there. Yeah. But if you're talking about your weekend and you see some kid light up because you started talking about Tottenham or something, yeah. Well, then you know that this kid likes Tottenham. Yeah. And you yeah. Start talking about that with that kid, and you become you build all these little yeah. um, ins, these little. Yeah. Notes how how many kids, kids are yeah. are born to learn from that book? Probably none. Right. How well can you connect with them? But uh, I don't think the books. I think the book should be secondary to the to it's the relationship support. between the sure. between the teacher and the in the student. Right? It's a little Paulo Freire for you.
Bob, what's your uh, your early music uh, influences, man? What got you into, uh, or what did you listen to in uh, mm. in in Moose Jaw? And the... I was gonna say, what what are the prairie the prairie influences in in all of this? Well, sheep, well there's a few. Like so, sheep dogs come out of uh, dogs. you know the sheep dogs. I wasn't fully joking when I said country when you said I got my own stuff. I, I love roots country. Like you guys know Coulter Wall. He's he's a Canadian Saskatchewan boy. His dad was actually the premier of Saskatchewan for a very long time. Brad huh. Wall. Um, his music is phenomenal. Check it out any cha- chance, chance you get. What's his name? Uh, his name's Coulter Wall. Uh, his music is roots country, so his voice sounds like Johnny Cash. Oh. But he's like... Oh, uh, like, I might have... No, 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 never mind. I'm getting to mix up some of His else. videos, yep. he might be like 19 years old in some of them, and he sounds like a 50-year-old man that smokes... <laughs> oh, maybe oh, I've heard of that. I've seen... I, I it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he the... Is he Wears the a cowboy that... hat, got blonde hair, yeah, little mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I think I have heard him. Anyways, yeah, yeah. he's incredible. Um, so there's some definite like country influence. Um, just being born and raised in Saskatchewan, but yeah. um, realistically, like my dad was a big influence on my music. He wasn't a musician. Actually, no one in my family is a musician. Mm. So that's kind of uh, my sister is, but mm. only because they got her piano lessons. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so my dad was actually a DJ. He worked in a casino uh not a casino i guess it was like a a nightclub in regina called gold Hmm. golds maybe gold or golds a lot of stories from that time but it was in like the 70s uh, maybe in the 80s actually probably more so in the early 80s but um yeah it used to be the club where the saskatchewan rough riders i don't know if you know anything about canadian football but they're like the celebrities of saskatchewan (laughs) so they used to hang out there one of the the, rough riders that was the uh that was the club that all the rough riders would play and hang out at and my dad would dj there that was his job so he'd have you know his two vinyl setups and he'd put records on all night spinning records so as a kid we had a lot of those lying around the house there's just vinyl everywhere like well not, i'm not strewn about but like yeah he had a lot of boxes of vinyl yeah. so as a kid you go through the discovery of listening to what your dad used to listen to everyone yeah. Yeah. ventures off and listens to dick and fart music for a while like yeah. blink one eight two and whatever but eventually you gravitate towards the stuff that's like interesting so i don't know canadian music april wine do you guys know april wine sure no they were like a 70s, maybe, or 80s rock I'm band. surprised I know someone you don't. <laughs> uh, I know Wild Vines. Oh, they had a, uh, my That's dad good had all year round, bro. I don't know who Wild Vines are at. No. It's a drink. It's, it's, oh, okay. it's a wine. That, oh, uh, I got you. It's a fruity wine. Yeah, no, April Wine, that, uh, my dad had a vinyl of that. And when I was a kid, I just loved the sound of that record. It's very cheesy now. Like, yeah. if I listen to it, it's super cheesy. But it's, it was a really uh, interesting thing to have in the house because, you know, in any other country where national music isn't super supported mm. you don't have that sitting in the house you have whatever the top 40 is so yep. that was kind of yeah. nice my dad was a huge super tramp fan so yeah. we listened to a lot of super tramp i have memories of like just being like grade one grade two maybe yeah. and like my dad had a nissan uh I can't remember the name of the make of the car, but it had a T roof. You ever seen those roofs? Yeah. Like, they're not like convertibles, but you can take off the panels. Yeah. The so he'd like take the. T- I felt like I was the coolest kid in school, yeah. man. My dad would take off that was the. Probably the, the coolest car in Saskatchewan. I think yeah. it was. Man. <laughs> he'd take off the roof. Everyone else was driving a tractor. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> Just big, dusty blue Ford or something. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he'd take off the roof, drive me up to school, blast in Super Tramp to the point where it's probably dangerous health and safety for a child's ears to be exposed <laughs> yeah. to music that loud. But like it just felt like I felt, you feel like a million dollars rolling up yeah, to school and that. So like that influenced me young on, and actually even like later on, writing.
writing music. Mm. I did turn to like um, influence and reference from Supertramp at times, just being like the compositions of these songs are insane. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. man. Um, so that's the old stuff. I guess later on, Sheepdogs is cool and stuff, but it's not something I put on often. Cold Throw Wall is something I'll listen to quite often. They had their, they had their moment. They had their moment. The yeah, yeah, they had their moment. Uh, there's a couple good Canadian bands, though. Actually, one of them is more out towards Ontario. It might be Toronto-based. I don't know for sure. Their name's July Talk. A oh. really cool rock band. That's worth checking out for sure. July Talk. Yeah, they're very, very cool. Um you know, hopefully one day this underground tracks uh, has enough freedom to take off in Canada where I can actually expand it. And how cool it would be to be able to shape music. It's really fun to be able to work with ex expats here. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, their exposure in music is limited to like their friends and their family and the yeah. odd people that find them online. Yeah. What's cool about Canada is they support local music so much that if you've got a great song mm. and and it catches fire, it's on the radio across the country. Yeah. yeah. That's something, I, I mean, just researching for this podcast, going through Canadian bands and, and especially yeah. ones from uh, ones from Saskatchewan, you, you realize like growing up, I'm like, oh, fuck, they're Canadian? Right. They're Canadian? These yeah. guys are all Canadian bands? Like, holy shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, that was it's wild. It's surprising. Man. It really is. I think there's a quota actually in Canada. I don't, I could be pulling this statistic out of my mm. butt, but I think it's somewhere around like 30 or 25% of all content mm. on Canadian radio has to be from a Canadian artist. No right? way. So that's why you get a lot of radio mm. plays still to this day where you'll still get like, uh, I don't know, Theory of a Dead Man playing on the rock yeah. stations. Yeah. So you're like, okay, you... like this is like from the early 2000s yeah. and still people are like vibe into it because. Yeah, it's what they grew up on, but still gets radio play. Sam Roberts, you, you, sure, you, Sam you Roberts. Love, love if, something, if something catches on and, and whatever, and in Winnipeg, there's a radio DJ, old friend Ace Burpee, and he's a musician. He's been in all kinds of punk and, and rock bands, and he makes up some funny songs about either the Prairies or the Jets or oh, yeah. like the Jets. I think the Jets playoff anthem from whatever two three years ago was made by him, oh, and cool. he he used to do the contests for all of the. Uh, the visiting team, the chants for the visiting teams coming in. Oh, so yeah. when Ovechkin came in, the chant was Crosby's better. And that was, he, used, <laughs> he used to put all those out on the radio in the morning. Guys, let's go. Ovi's coming to town. What's the chant for tonight? Oh. And he he's an awesome, awesome, amazing guy. Probably so he's a really best, good liar as well. Probably one of the best. <laughs> but he, he recently made another song. I don't know if it was about the Jets or the pandemic. I can't remember. But it's freaking hilarious. And it caught on, caught on. Just sharing, sharing, sharing. Yeah. We're from a small little town, man. 5,000 people. And then it catches on, breaks out to the to the municipality, yep. and then the southern part of the country or province, and then and then of course it's on the radio all the time again. Yeah, and, and that's mean, when you really like I, I guess that's the thing about Canadian music, you know, the fact that my dad's got some old gems that no one's ever heard of mm. in his basement record collection. It's like the same thing's going to happen to the next generation. There's going to be songs that are on the radio for the next twenty years. Yeah. Um, that people aren't going to be able to avoid. I didn't even realize how much music is Canadian until you leave Canada. And you're like, oh, you don't know Sam Roberts. <laughs> oh, you don't know these artists, right? There's all these artists that we just think naturally, like, oh, yeah, I know of them, or I know them, or I've, I remember this song by them. Steppenwolf. You know Justin Bieber. <laughs> sure, Steppenwolf. Yeah. Right. Dude, they're great. Age of Electric was one that I Step found out was from Saskatchewan too. Cool. I was like, I, I bought that CD when I was in like grade four or something. I think I was like, in general, most people other than like the fact of Justin Bieber, Celine yeah. Dion, Rush. Yeah. And like, oh, Rush, huge. Yeah. yeah. But like there's those few that people are like, of course they're Canadian. And yeah. then everything else is just like this hidden gem yeah. of like, oh, wow, that band was as well. I mean, the, the guess who? 
The Get yeah. Two are like Winnipeg, man. one of Massive. the best old yeah. bands, you know. Dude, the Hip Neil Young. Oh, the Hip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, the he's he's never asked anyone about another one. Do you know the Hip? Our Lady Peace yeah, uh, okay. yeah. That's another one of my big influences So I'll say there's a period between Like I think I was maybe grade 6 yeah. To grade 8 Where that when, was when the we primary born? band 1990 So 1990? it was perfectly in that range right? They came out as a band in 93 Yeah um, so their big stuff like Navid and things yeah. like that would have been like 96, Starcy, maybe. Yeah. Stars, yeah. Um, all those songs were on that era. And then they came out with the record Gravity, I want to say is the name of the Nowhere record. Nowhere out there somewhere. That yeah, one, yeah. yeah, that one's on there. Um, that record came out when I was in like, yeah, grade six or something like that. Grade five. And like, oh, it yeah, just yeah. changed the way that I looked at music because here's, again, I didn't know they're Canadian. Mm, <laughs> I just yeah. thought they were musicians. Yeah. But if you ask anyone else, do you want RLAPs? No. <laughs> I remember grade six, dude, they dropped <laughs> Superman's Dead and I was like, whoa, oh, yeah, what a, what this is tune, yeah. man. Yeah, that was a good, uh, that was awesome. Yeah. Alanis, right? Alanis Morissette. Alanis, Jan Arden. Oh, sure. Yeah, lots. Uh, and I think one of the times I used to be remembered of who is Canadian is it what are the awards called in Canada the music awards Junos the Junos sure, yeah. the Junos you're like oh I didn't know they're Canadian wow <laughs> yeah and then you start if you if you I mean most people don't even follow those or hear of them but usually it makes the news once or twice and you just read a couple names oh wow I didn't know they're Canadian but yeah maybe the other like uh, Mount Rushmore Canadian artist that doesn't maybe doesn't always get picked up is like I just started listening to her a little bit more it's Joni Mitchell since she uh, tried to cancel yeah. uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, oh, I didn't Spotify. know about that. Wasn't that her? Yeah, her and Neil Younger. Oh, they, I, about Neil Young. I didn't know about Joni Mitchell, though. Yeah. Her, I, was music that her? Is, yeah. her music is incredible. Yeah. Know? She's written some some really interesting things, and it's just really cool to be able to go back in that catalog and listen to it every now and then. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. When they were uh, when everyone was quitting Spotify there, I was scrolling down. It was like, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young are out. And literally the next picture on Facebook underneath was like a Gord Downey interview from like 1989 it's like who's your biggest influence he's like neil young and joni mitchell like oh i wonder if he would have quit spotify too if he was still around it's funny when, <laughs> it's funny when a movement takes off because the one thing about um i probably dropped an about there that was a boot Canadian. yeah a boot. um the one is it that bad or, or do we pronounce no, it that bullshit. bad i can't i just actually realized well that that's the thing yeah we're 75 percent canadian here which yeah. is kind of rare you know yeah uh, or this is like the old powwow here yeah. <laughs> no the um the one thing that i really find interesting about the canceling of someone off of a platform like spotify is it started out with neil young and the mm. one thing take this how it is these are just facts okay neil young originally came up with a device for sharing music mm. and it had a proprietary uh, system of listening mm. and I can't remember exactly what it was whether it was headphones or whether it was a speaker system or whether it was an actual physical device I, yeah. can't, I can't recall but his main competition that put him out of business and actually ruined his opportunity was Spotify taking off oh. so the question that I have is is why is Spotify being targeted so heavily obviously because they have a direct contract with this guy yeah. that no one they don't like him okay mm. you're entitled to not like someone that's yeah. fine it's free country yeah um his stuff is on YouTube. Yeah. Why is your music on YouTube? Mm. His stuff is all over YouTube. And like, we're also talking about YouTube is probably one of the worst breeding grounds of oh, Facebook, mm. Facebook and YouTube for the comments disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, why oh, does your music, do you have a page on Facebook? We mm. should probably move your Facebook page because they're also but spreading that, But isn't this all stuff like, once you dig past the surface, all of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, no. It's all interconnected. Yeah. And, and what's yeah. a, you always got to look at the motivation behind it too, right? Like you said, it could have been his uh, sour yeah. grapes I over just, his. I think that that's an interesting thing. Yeah. I don't, 
believe that that's actually the cause. And obviously, Joni, you heard it here first. Up in that, but like, <laughs> I just think that um, if someone is going to be self-righteous and go out there and do something, they should at least be consistent. Yeah. At the, in yeah. the very least, they, they deserve the people. You mean like DiCaprio? <laughs> I don't know. Did you see well, what did he do? Oh, well, he's the environmental activist. On they a got yacht? him on a $650 million yacht. Sure. Cruising around and their paparazzi picture and going, whoa, 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 buddy. What's going yeah, on Yeah, I mean, the contradiction is hilarious, yeah. right? You've got Elizabeth Warren saying that we're boiling the oceans and she's taking private jets. So yeah, the thing yeah. happens everywhere. Every single person is a hypocrite yeah. until they're, you know, they're innocent until they're caught. So yeah. I just think that in and the if end... if you're big enough, you're all going to get caught. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and really the best advocacy that you can ever do is silent advocacy. If you really care about something, you just care about in your own life and people around you really notice it yes you know if like if you're a person that doesn't like cigarettes being on the ground hmm. then when you see them pick them up and everyone else that's smoking will go holy shit that person just picked up a cigarette bus oh, i just well obviously with covid you probably shouldn't be doing this <laughs> but like i remember yeah. oh, i used to smoke and i felt a little bit guilty about just littering hmm. and i without saying anything to my friends I just put it in children's started, backpacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and with enough for them to know. Yeah. Uh, I would put them out and yeah. either put them back in the cigarette case, which which sucked because then your pants stink. Yeah. You know? um, or I'd just like wait till I was walking inside because everywhere in Canada you sell trash cans. Yeah. So you just get to the trash can and you yeah. throw it out. But and I've, I've seen honestly, people that have like little bags or pouches or something. Little tins, like, yeah. That, I mean... Without he saying, used to he, carry he, roaches he around. Smoking's not good, but at least he's being responsible. Exactly. If everybody yeah. did that. Wow, it'd be a lot cleaner. Well, place. And, and that's the thing, right? So, like, just by doing that small action and not actually voicing, and actually, in some ways, not even consciously thinking about oh, this, formed my opinion on this. Yeah. yeah. Is that my friends started doing it? Yeah. yeah. Everyone that I went out for a cigarette with would yeah. also do the same thing, and I went, "Oh, that's silent." I, I don't, have, I don't yeah. have a problem telling people to not throw their darts on the ground. Hold on, listen. I'll get. I, and I'm not a smoker, but I got no problem saying, "Hey, yeah. listen, asshole." And no one's. Gonna, I live here too. Go put that in your living room. No, no. And they look at you. No one's going to refute you. <laughs> and I hope, I hope between your silent activism and my voice, and sometimes some of these guys. Stop. I I can get over the butt. What I can't get over is someone just buying a fresh pack. Like on the phone outside, just undo the plastic, throw it on Who, the ground. Who's the worst people for this? If we're generalizing. Oh, uh, 35-year-old Korean dude. These 25 to 35-year-old Korean dudes. Oh, my God. Uh, I called the guy back the other day and I was like, hey. Dude, know, just rip the, the, the tin foil off. Just like directly throw it around. Like, <laughs> but I was like, what are you doing? Like, Holy shit. How does that pack have? Uh, it was the plastic. Then it was something else. Then it was the two tin foils. And I was like, yeah. You're leaving a trail here, dude. <laughs> like if it was all together in a ball or something, but it was like six different pieces of. But again, if you if you it. if you scratch down just a little bit, like I went home, you know, I saw that happen, then I went home and found out like my wife ordered, sure. dude, like chopped garlic. Mm. First of all, you can just buy garlic and can chop it yourself. Right. She bought this this thing of chopped garlic, and there's like a. It's like in a box, in plastic, and there's like little like indents oh, yeah. filled with. So it's like single servings mm -hmm. of what? What a colossal waste of fucking yeah. resources that is! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I'm getting angry over this guy's little uh, this little piece of tinfoil here. Okay, back, hold on. back to the Neil Young one. Did yeah. you guys see that meme on there that was just priceless? It was like Neil Young chooses to leave Spotify. People under thirty. Who the hell's Neil yeah, Young? Exactly. Thirty to fifty. <laughs> 
that old bastard's still alive? Yeah. Yeah. Over 50. What the hell is Spotify? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's so... It's, it's go, everyone's angry about something different, but... Yeah. They, you know, they, oh, it was just perfect. I remember just talking to my it. brother going, why do I have to choose? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't make me choose, Neil. But yeah. I guess what with the silent advocacy angle be for, for him then? I guess instead of making a public statement about wanting to pull his music off, he should have pulled his music off of everywhere. And then he should have opened up a private website sale and he should have had it on discount for like a dollar to own all the songs yeah. that would have been like a positive promotion yep. and other artists would have seen it and he could have instead of like trying to make an actionable event where everyone else is also doing this thing to try yeah, to cancel someone i don't care if you like like joe rogan or don't like joe rogan but the idea of ganging up on anything is not really productive for our society yeah so like the great thing for him to really have done he could have started a movement that's different he could have had artists saying you know, I don't ethically stand with a lot of the platforms that are using the music, and I also feel that we're underpaid. So I'm going to try to, you know, circumvent that by offering it through this means yeah. instead. Yeah. And let's see how that goes. Shaquille O'Neal, do you know his with no. his shoes, his Reebok deal? No. Oh, he no was nice. pro- he was promoting his Reebok shoes, and uh, the lady came up to him and started yelling at him, "Oh, you rich mother! Why do you guys make these shoes? And they cost oh. a fortune that none of the none of these kids looking up to you can afford." This is bullshit. Why don't you make them more affordable? And he said, sorry, lady, here, here's 3,000 bucks. Or she balled it up, threw it at him. And he left there and he went, this is crazy. Why do my shoes cost 300 bucks? Uh-huh. And he went, he told Reebok, listen, I'll wear the shoes the rest of the year. No problem. I'll, I'll wear them. Reebok's everything, but the deal's done. I don't want any money. I'm out. Uh-huh. And I'm going to make my shoes myself. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm going to make them affordable for every kid in the country. Well, that's incredible. And, uh, they were still Reeboks, weren't they? I, I don't I don't know Maybe. the end of the story. I, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, no, he ended up making the thing, and then he signed a deal with like Walmart or something, didn't he? Mm-hmm. There were kids can get shoes for thirty bucks, sure, and they're, right. and they're cool quality shoes. But right. I don't know if they continue being Reeboks or not. Mm. The the original ones, the blue, black, and white ones, were Reeboks. Mm. But I don't remember ever seeing the magic Reebok shoes, shoes Shaq Isn't Reebok it shoes. Really after interesting. That. Like I actually think that kids understand this better than adults in some ways. It's like the concept of scarcity. Mm. Like when you're a kid, you knew that like the kid at school that had the nice shoes because like they were hard to get or they were expensive and mm. no one else had them. Pokemon cards is another yeah. example yeah, yeah, yeah. where like everyone wants the shiny Charizard. Yeah. For some reason, like kids really. You understand. were born in 1990. How do you know what that is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what the hell's a Charizard? <laughs> oh, there's one right behind you. There you go. Yeah, like, <laughs> kids there, yeah. really do understand scarcity in that yeah. in that sense. And like NFTs. <laughs> well, oh yeah, yeah with the realistically, with, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the the hype that's around them and whatever, but like. Um, there is something that they get that uh, I think as adults we stop caring about so much. Mm. I don't know why, but because it's all bullshit. <laughs> no, <laughs> like when uh, when you grow. Yeah, I don't know. You can just print your own card off. Yeah, you can also print your own money. So this is <laughs> okay. Let's go back to the music side of it. You said sister had piano lessons. Give us a little info on your some of your influences and stuff. When did you start actually making music? Um, so uh, I guess I started. I had my first guitar when I was in. I always do a thing by grades, but I guess age makes more sense because everyone has the same grading system. Mm. I might have been 14 or 13 when I got my first guitar. And it was 17 like, in Korean. Is it pretty cheap? <laughs> yeah, 19 in Korean. <laughs> pretty cheap, like uh, electric guitar. And I didn't really know what to do with it. Mm. So like I learned a couple riffs. Actually, it started my stepmom had a guitar mm. and I started noodling on that and like yep. learned a few songs. Uh, back this in the day where you could like 
download tablature yeah, yeah, yeah. online and I'd just like research some songs and then spend hours looking at a piece of paper to figure out how to play these, like, you know, these sweet songs. Yeah. Um, but a lot of music then, because the internet wasn't so prevalent, was actually spread through friendship. So I'd meet, you know, I'd meet this guy, he played guitar and I'd go to his house and he'd like teach me how to play a Green Day song. Nice. Oh, sweet. So like, now I know how to play that Tommy. I left song. three minutes later <laughs> knowing a Green Day song. Yeah, That's right. Quite easy. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and then it just snowballs, right? And then someone else learns this crazy hard song. You're like, I really want to learn how to play a song because, mm. you know, so-and-so learned how to play that and now I've got to learn how to play it. So I built a lot of my knowledge of music based on sort of friendship and, and just hanging out with people mm. to the point where like I was lacking some foundational songwriting skills and some things that I needed. So um, by... By the time I was maybe 15, uh, 16, I would say, uh, my parents got me some guitar lessons. Uh, and the guitar teacher I had, his name is Roman Chirko. He, he's actually... Wasn't he a goalie for the Dallas Stars? No, this is a different Roman Chirko. He's a music head. <laughs> um, his, his dad, uh, sorry, his kids are uber famous. Mm. One of his kids produces for Ozzy Osbourne. His other kid... Ooh. Uh, played fiddle for Shania Twain no, or not right. Shania Twain sorry uh, Kelly Clarkson yeah, yeah. played a violin for Kelly Clarkson or guitar for Kelly Clarkson and then violin for someone else I can't remember Jesus uh, his other kid uh, moved to Japan and played in like a noise rock band so he knew this one kid knew so much <laughs> about music <laughs> that actually the theory of music became so boring to him mm. that he would create music that was theoretical sort of um, poetry but sounded like nonsense to us like Tool Oh, no, sir. It doesn't sound like nonsense, but like... No, like it, it, it to us would sound like nonsense, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like got theoretical, like it's just math problems. It's like uh-huh. it's like astrophysics of music when yeah, you listen yeah, yeah. to noise rock. I got A you. lot of the artists that are actually talented and that can uh-huh. do these things. But doesn't Tool do something like that as well? I'm not really sure. I yeah. mean, Tool to me is just a rock band, but I guess they do have a lot more like... Um, I, I thought guess. a lot of their stuff was like mathematically oh, yeah. sound. Maybe in, uh... they've got like a lot of like hidden meanings behind okay, things. Okay. But I think really in general, what I mean is, uh, what I mean to say is that he, chord progressions were boring. Okay, okay. So like Tool has normal chord progressions. Okay, okay. Um, but like those would be boring or song structures are boring to him. So mm. their songs don't have structures. Oh, okay, okay. So it's just wild. Like, this Sounds is... like I could do it. He's, he's, <laughs> he's the Yoko Ono of guitar? This guy, this guitar teacher was really, really incredible for helping me understand some fundamentals. Mm. And after like 10 months of guitar lessons, I literally understood how to write a song. Mm. And once I wrote a song, I'm like, I guess I don't need guitar lessons anymore. Because yeah. all I actually want to do is not play Smoke on the Water. I actually want to like have chords yeah. to express myself and then fill out the gaps with other people. So I started like that, writing songs on acoustic guitar, yes. playing at like live shows, yeah. meeting bandmates, starting a band. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the When you started album. out, was that the rock genre or was that kind of yeah in that area so um i was i was started out with uh myself playing acoustic guitar because it was more full-bodied and when you don't have uh crunchy guitars um it's really difficult like if you're playing an electric guitar and uh most people hide behind distortion so if they're not a good guitar player they crank up the distortion Mm. and then it sounds good yeah um but if you want to actually like write like chords and write um melodies and music it's a lot um it's a lot easier to do it on acoustic guitar for me personally than mm. it is on an electric guitar. And uh, so that's where I started. I'd write these songs. Uh, I had a friend that played violin. She was really good. So she always joined in to fill in some 
uh, legato lines and fill in little pieces where they needed to be. I had a friend that was a bass player. He was always at my house anyways, so he played bass. And then uh, oh. I just, I ended up having a drummer. That Sounds when like I was someone in, from Saskatchewan. When I was in school. <laughs> Nobody's got anything to do with his head. That's it, other man. That's it, yeah. So we just eventually all gravitated towards each other. The drummer that I have, uh, that I had on my first record, uh, he was an incredible drummer. His name's Steve. Um, I think he's still drumming professionally nowadays. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then this, the drummer on my second record, these are the only two changing parts really between my two records was uh, the drummer change. And uh, another young kid came up uh, and he was really good at drums. He's not young anymore. We're mm. all getting older. Mm. But um, no, he ended up, he's got a career out of it as well. Mm. Um, actually, he's um, drumming for like a session musician, but he's also on a Korean, like a famous Korean song. Because yeah. there's another songwriter in, in from my hometown that wrote a song for a famous Korean artist, mm. Taeyeon. Taeyeon is her oh, name. Okay. okay yeah, um, yeah. She has one song that this guy from my hometown wrote, mm. and my drummer from my second record played drums on this song. Oh, yeah. oh cool. Yeah, and it's just like That's all awesome. these crazy amount of views on this oh, song. Wow. <laughs> it's wild, like the, the, was it the Kevin Bacon, six degrees of separation between mm. a famous person. So between me and Taeyeon, it's like one degree of separation. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. That's awesome. So if it's not harvest or seeding or hockey season, everyone's in a bench. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. Smoke I, like the, I like the idea of, you know, you learn guitar for 10 months and you got your fundamentals and from there you, you know, you take it off. Here it's almost like a, find like a learned helplessness. <sighs> You know, where they're just, they're, they're so taking strong. you through years and years. And years right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, the thing. is like everything um, for study materials that I've ever done, including the studio. Mm. So it's, I guess it really started at a young age. But like I've always thought that getting the information you need um, is, is, the, is it's always a means to an end, right? Yeah. It's yeah. always serving something else. So the serving that it was doing, it was like for music, it was serving me the ability to express myself. Mm. And once I had achieved what I needed to, or I had the tools to continue to grow in that area, mm. I didn't need to pay this guy this money every yeah. single week that I was visiting him to learn these guitar lessons. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with the studio, once I realized that the content that I needed is actually available for me online and that I can study my butt off. Mm. I used to actually teach in Dalmaji and I lived in Yonsan. So I had an hour travel one way uh, each day. So it was two hours travel per day. Lots of study. We can study, yeah. I studied so much. You, you wouldn't be believe it. Uh, I listened to every music podcast available. I was mixing on my phone. Nice. Like, everything. Yeah. Just everything just to like keep cutting my teeth. And I sharpened my sword so much in that first few years that it was to the point where actually I was probably consuming too much content. I think yeah, most yeah. people do this when they're like learning a new craft. Yeah, yeah. You end up consuming like 80% and then doing 20%. Okay. And then a shift probably happened after about two years where that started being 50-50. And then now it's like I'm pretty much working 90% of the time. This guy's an and idiot. He doesn't know shit. 10% <laughs> of the time I'll find a new tutorial. I'm like, yeah. oh, like that is amazing. Yeah. Or or I'm trying to problem solve something in a mixed scenario. Like a voice is super harsh, mm. for example, or a guitar is super harsh. Um, and I want to discover if there's a better way to, to soften the sound of it. Mm. So I'll just quickly search online. Yep about how to, how can I possibly fix this scenario? Yeah. Um, and then you and then you just develop these tools 
more uh, organically, I guess, yeah. rather than yeah. just force feeding yourself yeah. for a couple of years. But I think that's a growth process everyone has to you go need, through. You need you need that uh, initial initial uh, front also, loading. Also, it speaks with think, you when you solve this problem for sure. Your, yeah, and I think that like I think maybe from academia, the the one criticism that I would have is that when we study in school, we don't actually get the skills or the experiences to actually understand these things that we've learned. Yeah. Yes. Where when you're self learning, it becomes a naturally derived thing. You. Yeah. You acquire at the beginning. You over acquire at the beginning, and then you forget half the stuff that you acquired. Yeah. Mm. And then when you actually go to use it, you recall back to when you had yeah, that yeah, knowledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you go back, you refine it, you rewatch it, you yeah. do whatever you need yeah. to do, and then all of a sudden it's just second nature, you know. That's something I say about the masters. I don't know how people could study educational theory without being in a classroom for ten years. How could you understand what's what's happening or? you know conceptualize applying this to to the actual class yeah, I think we, talk about, we the, talk about that for everything i mean yeah. especially in sports too right like how can you coach if you've never played how can you tell me how to do a layup without showing me and actually doing the layup mm-hmm. and i think about in comparison to hockey and how many guys like gretz sure someone someone teaches you some edge work or something sure but you learn on the pond and watching your brothers and you learn from each other and doing it i mean yeah the creativity in the most creative guys is not from going to hockey school yeah it's from screwing around, playing around on the pond, the outdoor rinks, whatever, and that's how they develop that stuff. I listen yeah, to, sure. to GSP, <clears throat> you know, George GSP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he um, he was saying a lot of his, a lot of the best learning that he's done was just in in the form of play when he's when he's doing jujitsu with uh, with really low level guys and he can try out new things. And oh, sure. It's it's during that uh, that kind of fun period. I think in a lot of areas yeah. that are, um, you're not pressured, you're not structured, you're just yeah. You're just learning by doing and I mean, the cooking, every, every, everything. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, too, like I think the reason why maybe um, education, uh, like digital education hasn't taken off. It has taken off, obviously, like mm. it's massive. Mm. But why why doesn't everyone take to it the same way that maybe I have or you have or someone mm. else, you know? And I think it really boils down to kind of like um, a scarcity mindset or a fear based mindset. Um, a lot of people want to do stuff. But they begin to compare. Yeah. Uh, they begin to criticize themselves. Yeah. They begin to uh, contrast their skills with someone else. Mm. Like, I guess compare. That's the same thing. <laughs> um, some some well, sort of. But uh, it's this idea that like I I can't do this thing, uh, or I need a program to teach me how to do this thing. Yeah. Like the capabilities of an individual to learn something is literally if you want to learn it, you can learn it nowadays. You could actually yeah. learn anything. Anything, you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's problem solving and innovation. Yeah. yeah. And I say, when you go travel to third world countries, you see it every day. Sure. Yeah. Kids invent games and stuff all the time. And like in the Philippines, you always see those kids with the bicycle rim tires yeah. and a stick, and they got to run five yeah. kilometers in India. Yeah. And they just balance the bicycle tire with a stick wow. and how far they can go without it falling down. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the kids have so much fun with nothing. Yeah. And then you come out here and you, everyone's got a a pad or a phone or whatever. Yeah, I remember like there used but, to be no electricity and we used to like come up with like the most stupid games. <laughs> but yeah. there is so much stuff available now that it kills your motivation to do those right. things. Yeah. And if you take those kids and throw them outside and say, okay, go play. What, what do we do? Play. Sure. Play yeah, what? Yeah. We, we were never told that. And I'm not saying better or worse, whatever. But I mean, it was just whatever you can do, whatever the hell you want. Just don't come inside. I don't care what you do or how you play. Just mm-hmm. go figure something out and... I think that lacks now with the screen is is killed a but lot that's of that innovation. active versus passive like before you're you're actively looking for something to to do or entertain yourself now it's just 
and you just they zombify him. Sure, on, yeah. yeah. On the thing, but 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 some kids are doing this and learning and and you know learning how to code, learning how to yeah. play guitar or whatever. And some kids are just playing games. Um, there are a lot of kids who do who are actively learning when they're. When well, I they're think on their yeah, screens. the incentive structure is really kind of messed up right now, right? So we've got like addictive games that are freemium that cost nothing, but they engage like a hundred percent of kids time oh. you know they're asking for credit cards to get a special sweater for their character and yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is <laughs> and like i just i just don't feel like i don't mind a sweater just don't ask for the sword right yeah. Yeah. or the power booster <laughs> again it's like the, the idea of scarcity right like these kids understand this thing um but i think that our space like digitally is going to have a lot more creativity in the future like kids are going to be creating everything everything is going to be living online eventually mm. um so you got bitcoin and like metaverse property is that what you're saying i don't know 30 bitcoins and, think, uh, and a plot of land oh, well, I'll, I'll go on the record and say i do not have 30 bitcoins <laughs> if the if the canadian revenue agency is listening to this podcast you know um i um I just so first of all I think cold that, wallet coal we call them. I think the metaverse is a bit of <laughs> a joke might have it. if I'm honest. Yeah. I think um I think the idea of it is beautiful. I think the organicness of it is beautiful, but the one thing that you cannot do to the internet is try to corporatize it. Mm -hmm. And with Facebook changing their name to Meta and watching their share price drop 60%, whatever it was, it was a crazy amount. I think still, well, still PayPal dropping. dropped 60%, but Facebook dropped maybe like 30%, something oh, like that. Oh, that was a big um, but what I'm trying to say is that like Facebook is trying to monetize uh, what is essentially an open network. Hmm. Who's to say that the metaverse, which is a created, fabricated digital world where we can interact, hmm. has to be branded by a single company? Why aren't yeah. there several metaverses? Why isn't there it? There are. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think that they need to be corporately run. You know, the yeah. ethical thing for Facebook to do is to be what Jack Dorsey is doing with Bitcoin. Mm. He essentially quit Twitter. Yeah. I don't know if you guys heard this. Um, and he's now developing products for an open source protocol, which is Bitcoin. He's just yeah. straight up developing stuff mm. to help the community. He's using his own money yeah, yeah. to do this thing. Facebook you know morally bankrupt as they are they're trying to cash in on this thing yeah and i think they are looking for whatever they can grab because now clearly facebook is no longer the main place where people so go on the way it's down true. Yeah, yeah it's true so like but it's instagram isn't it instagram is still big but, but yeah. still like they drive by means their business model is to keep you get engaged right? yeah, yeah, yeah but now there is tiktok youtube like everything well, else yeah, is going yeah, yeah. So they, honest, i mean i think that their business model is essentially just making money and i think that's the biggest problem is they make all their money because the internet inherently doesn't have um a monetary incentive that was created by corporations and yeah, companies yeah. on the internet so yeah. facebook's entire model is based on ad revenue hmm. and every single internet-based company right nowadays like other than that's providing a service and delivering it to you or something hmm. like that um they live on selling your data yeah, yeah. that's it and like there's no ethics behind that. I think that that's the one thing that's broken with the internet right now. There's a lot of buzz about Web3 and things like that right now. Mm. The problem about the space right now is you have the problem, but the solution is not really well known. So there's everyone touting that Web3 is going to be the fix for the world where we all own our own data and we can mm. live on the internet where... Well, there's some the browsers that that uh, sure. you can like um brave browser brave, yeah, 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 yeah brave yeah. browser allows you to micro pay um content creators based mm. on your consumption so rather than watching an, an uh, ad on youtube you can actually pay that creator or something mm. like that 
um, or you can watch physical ads and get paid for watching the ad, which yeah, is yeah. essentially like that's a better value proposition yeah. than just being exploited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so essentially, I think that um, the one biggest problem that we all have in the next 10 years is navigating the digital space and knowing what's what's bullshit mm. and what's real. And unfortunately, I think 95 to 99% of everything that's a hype right now is is crap. Yeah, I yeah. think it's all What's, what's real is the chip I got with my vaccination last week. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mean, they're going to have all my data now because I know they don't have any yet. So <laughs> yeah. let's, let's keep going with the music stuff here. Sure, man. You, when did you come to Korea? Uh, I got here in oof, 2013. Uh, 2013 <laughs> February. Long time ago. I know it doesn't feel like long to you, but like uh, I always get confused if it was 2017 or 2013 or 2014, but it was 2013. I finished university at uh, 2012. Uh, and then I took six, here. six months off and then came yeah. out here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually I finished my semester in my last semester in Malaysia, yeah. and it was yeah. an awesome wow. experience. Uh, Where were you going? University of Regina, Saskatchewan. Yep, Regina. Yep, Regina. So the idea for me was that like I had a professor that actually lived in Malaysia for the months that he didn't teach. Mm. So we had a bit of an exchange. Except no people came to Canada. (laughs) 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 We exchanged dollars to visit their country. What do you study? Uh, I studied education. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So I went to a teacher college there for six months, which is honestly, it was like a cultural experience. I didn't even take a class. Like it was fun. Hanging out. I had a professor write a paper for me. I'm not even joking. Oh, yes? Yeah, like we. Oh. Did a, this is a culture class, but instead of you, um, the dean wants you to write this paper, I'm going to write all of your papers. There's five of us. Mm. I'm going to write all of your papers, and you're going to go to this Taipusam Indian festival, and you're going to like watch people pull floats with hooks in their backs. Oh, nice. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I think I'll write the paper. <laughs> Never awesome. seen that in the job. Yeah, no, so it's a big what, world, uh... big, big world, and a change from Saskatchewan. So the idea of coming to Korea kind of hit me one day i was in uh oof, the area was um cameron highlands was the area in malaysia and i met a couple of travelers they'd finished 18 months in korea teaching mm. in seoul and they said we made a buttload of cash now we're traveling southeast asia the food was great in korea it's pretty easy to read it looks scary at the start but it's not that bad yeah. um you can get a job right out of school yeah i just had learned that malaysia is two years of experience before you can teach there so originally i obviously i wanted yeah. to go back to this place that i found so fascinating yeah but uh it wasn't really on the cards and then when i met these people i realized that korea was in the cards pretty well so i pretty yeah. much just like got my affairs in order for six months hung out with friends um, visited with family. It didn't work the last six months in Canada. I was just like a, a bit of a gong show, really. It's a and, nice, and then uh, came here to Korea and like, wow. It's a nice feeling. Eh? No one, uh, knowing you're coming to the... Straight, straight into Busan? Straight into Busan. We did a orientation in Jeonju and really I landed like in... Yep. Mm-hmm. I landed in Busan in Gumgokdong for my first year, which honestly, I kind of hated it, if mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I liked Korea to some extent, mm. but there was also the culture shock of being sure. in a new country to get over with. Um, How? So, so I guess after that first year, I didn't like my job. I In Epic? Yep. 
Mm. I was a PowerPoint clicker to a first year teacher who wanted to prove herself. Uh, yeah. mm. So I did nothing. Uh, I yeah. actually, I got into the habit of sleeping every lunch till four mm. with the gym teacher. Yeah. Not with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Not like, not like <laughs> sexual. Oh, like that, oh, yeah. Like, just taking naps. At, yeah. I love those guys who have taken naps at school. Yeah, no, he's like, you he's, never see the female teachers napping at school with the men. Oh, yeah. All the time. Well, his, his desk was right beside mine and I thought it was so odd because obviously I had nothing to do. It was epic and this first year teacher wanted to have the reins of control to like prove herself so i didn't even get stuff to do when i asked mm. so i'd be sitting there you know what i'm going to do with my time to make myself productive i'm that kind of person that's easily like sitting around doing nothing yeah. so i'd be up late at night i'd teach my morning classes and i'd honestly sleep taking it up yeah, yeah. So what? that was my first year in Korea. Well, I quit. That's, uh, old then... Robbie uh, Pink Shorts there. He got stuck up in Sokcho. I mean, you're lucky Sokcho, to, have, yeah. to have been in. Uh, to have been. Every, everybody's right? are different, and some have great situations. Some would love that position. I think so. It's and other other people, yeah, the yeah. other ways. I mean, might like be, like I when I was in public school the first year, it started in Ulsan, and I had already lived here a bunch of years. And we picked our me and Gareth picked our own schools, and I said, "Listen, I don't need you. I can just teach the whole thing by myself. You don't have to be here. You can go and coupon shopping, whatever you want." She was like. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. And she wasn't even in the class, but she knew I could handle my own class. Yeah. She watched one or two and said, listen, either I'm not staying here or you're not staying here, but we're both not needed. For sure. And I think that's the one thing is like the Epic program is such a variant in your experience that right. it's really difficult to rely on. You know, like they do have a little one week teacher training thing, but I mean, I think they probably need a, a co-teaching training for the Korean teachers as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think they need a more of a system. Anyways, um, I was really happy to leave that. And yeah. actually, uh, I went back to Canada for six months to try to figure it out. Uh, I wasn't actually sure I was going to come back here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I'll come back. Yeah, I came back. <laughs> well, I was I was dating my girlfriend um and then when i moved i didn't know if i was going to be coming back to see her at all or anything and when you get back to saskatchewan after you've been in the big wide world <laughs> there's not a lot to do yeah so wow i've been frozen for six months yeah man so or whatever i realized months. i already had the dream set up of like okay i'm gonna record music so i had already bought all this gear out of my teaching wages in korea for the first year were you doing it like uh in the first year in korea i didn't do anything i had basically what you had for a microphone and i had a pair of headphones and i would rec record some covers okay, okay so i just did some on your website it starts fun. from what 2015 your recording 2015 would probably been the first stuff that i had under the underground tracks mm. label okay okay yeah so um, you were here okay so it was after the first year saskatchewan's boring you come back that's it man i mm. moved actually so i bought a lot of gear actually so i moved all of it on a boat and that was like official i moved in the yonsen i put the studio up i started cutting my teeth with like recordings huh. um you know trying to find clients was really difficult at the beginning because i didn't have any reputation okay wait, hold, hold, hold on. back up a little bit was what, what what was the music scene like well i mean what when, when you came was in there korea? a lot of, yeah uh, in, in, in korea and in busan i mean well it was um, hard for a long time to find live music here like there was one or two or three places and, and still now there's probably only two or three it was I, hard to find live music. I think we were lucky that with, I think you guys kind of experienced maybe in the first year of Epic, how your friend circle is too big. It's almost like a post-college friend circle where mm. everyone thinks they need to be friends with everybody. Yeah. And it's just kind of this like world where it's like, let's all just be happy and have a fun time together. Yep. Well, those nights out were like 80 people. Like yeah. there was like 80 We, we were never part of that stuff. Yeah. I was already fully independent when I had joined that. But uh, yeah. But it existed here. It was, oh, it was massive. Absolutely. So what would happen is... Um, 
80 people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty big for a night out when you yeah, consider sure. it, right? So what we would I do... I remember seeing them on Facebook. Hey, guys, welcome dinner. Oh, what, three months sure. reunion dinner. Oh, the... Who's coming? <laughs> and there's like 90 people. I can, tell you, I can tell you how many birthdays I went to in that first yeah. year in Korea. It's like, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. I'm like, everyone's going to have a birthday this year. Yeah. I can't go and to they're going away dinners. And all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we ended up start doing is uh, like I would play songs uh, at a, a bar called Monkey Spanner in Nampo. Mm. Um, there would be a couple other people that would play with me. A couple of people are then in that cohort. Uh, and we just put together like a little show. Are these like open mic nights or? No, it was like we would hire out the bar. Oh, ah. and they ah, would, for those parties. Yeah. And they pay uh-huh. us. They pay us for food and they I'd drink for free and I'd eat for free. Nice. So Beautiful. literally the last six months in Korea of that first year. You're using the Epic Group. I, I honestly <laughs> didn't even pay for a drink i don't think leverage in the like maybe when i was like drinking the casually outside of wherever but like those but nights i was beautiful but i was having the, the best whole... night of my life and mm. didn't that's spend the a entre- dime that's the, un- that's the entrepreneurial mindset i mean yeah you can't just keep running with the uh, blind leading the blind these guys don't know where they're going everyone just keep doing the same thing and again you got you got to broaden your pursuit you got to do something else man you found a way to drink for free and still enjoy and have fun. <laughs> and that was the mentality back then, too. Like, I was, uh, what would I have been? Maybe 20. So you saved $4 20, a month. On, or something like $4 that. $4 a month on soju. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. It's not like home, right? I mean, if you're doing that at home, you're saving huge cash. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, God, when we came, pitchers, 3,000 CC pitchers were like nine bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, God, and so you, go you a dollar. You go to Tombstone, five bucks for yeah. 10 bucks for a uh, pitcher of rum and coke. Like a, yeah, a, a like bottle of Commander or... Rum and just <laughs> a face melter. Yeah, you didn't even have to, have oh, to do anything. So what, what makes you pull the pull the trigger on opening uh, opening the studio? You knew you wanted to do it, but what's... Yeah, uh, I mean, I would have opened Underground Tracks if I had zero clients between t- 2014 and today. Okay. So, still so be you, were, uh, you were approached by... Like, when did you make the, the decision? Someone said, hey, can you record this for me? And they're like, okay, it's official. No, actually, there was zero You're demand. Doing... Okay, um, <laughs> This is the thing is like, I think that in the end, when you're starting a business, you have to follow a couple of things. First of all, you have to be lean enough that you're not going to bankrupt yourself and put yourself in debt. Mm. So if you start a business and you're passionate about it, um, but you sink, I don't know, $20,000 on your idea and Mm. no one picks it up, Mm. you have to pay that debt eventually. So if you can't eat because of the situation you got yourself in, it's no longer your passion, it's your nightmare. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So... The idea, actually, and I didn't really have a word for it at the time. I hadn't done a lot of, like, business reading then. Mm. I was kind of learning as I went. Yeah. But um, Underground Tracks really started as kind of a lean business model. I had a laptop. I had a microphone. I learned how to do things quickly. Yeah. Um, I I studied hard. And when I landed my first client, it's just because I built the website. I built a WordPress site. Yeah. Um, that was really discoverable on Google. If you search Recording Studio in Busan, it's the first, second, and probably the third hit. Beautiful. Um, so that was that was one of the big things that helped me get organic traffic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing was just being a face in the community. And to be honest, I hated that. Like <laughs> I hated going to a bar and thinking as a business person, mm-hmm. I have to go talk to this band now. I got to go talk to you know, this musician who just played and now I've got to feel like I'm selling them snake oil and it comes across, right? When you feel like like you're selling something to someone, they know that you're selling something to them. So in that first year, I learned a lot about like myself about what's effective as a business strategy 
And also just in general, being human and not being a total tool when you're trying to talk to people that yeah. you care about, that you want to like have a relationship with. Yeah. So I kind of learned um, fairly quickly through the errors that mm. I was making uh, that, A, this is never going to work and I'll never, if I'm outside <laughs> having a drink with someone and I'm debating about whether or not this or this is the right sort of tool to make this production. Yeah musicians don't care about the tools you're using. Yeah. They don't care about any of these things. And if they do, you probably don't want to work with them. Yeah. What they actually care about is A and B. They care about how does it sound before it comes to you? How much does it cost? how does it sound <laughs> after? Yeah, and yeah. how much does it cost? Yeah. yeah. So I think the one thing that made the studio in Busan successful is knowing what the price cap can be. Yeah. How much can I charge? Um, how how developed are my skills compared to the people around me? Yeah. And if I'm not where I need to be, how can I get there? Yeah, yeah. How can I convey that to my market without not without being someone that's not me? How can I be myself? Yeah. So eventually when I realized that I could just make music that was good, post music that was good, and then people would that come to me. That speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So like nowadays, I normally avoid talking about music when I go out. It's good. If well, I see a band, I kind of even don't even approach them. Oftentimes... They'll either approach me mm. or someone that I know will tell them about me and yeah. I'm at the bar. Yeah. And then I might hang out with them and I probably still don't bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, it's not even like conscious now that I'm not bringing it up. It's yeah. just like, I'd rather just hang out with these people. Right. If, I like them, yeah, yeah. if I like them and they want to record music, they're just going to come to me if I'm a good guy and yeah. I have great products. It's one of my favorite parts of your website. You say that... Uh you know the business and building relationships is a big part of oh you know it's almost as equal to the music is is getting to know the band or yeah. the musician or the person well in the end if, if you could be the most skilled person in the world and i'm sure that everybody knows a person like this you could be the best at something in your craft but if you're a dickhead no, no one asshole. ever yeah. wants to work with you again it's like the richest guy everywhere in, uh, right? yeah yeah. No, and even if you do this salesmanship of going and speaking with them, you still have to do the work, right? You still sure. have to record and show them the quality thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you when you decided, was that a big decision that you thought I got to stay here at least three years to make this work, or because you were so bare bones, I'll just give it a shot for six months, see where it takes me, or was that like, man, I didn't like my last job, I'm back here now, and yeah, I think in, I'm committing to three years, regardless of what it is, I'm going to try and make this work here. I had no hard commitments. The f original thoughts that I remember passing through my head were, um, if this money sink at the beginning, because mm. you're going to buy a new laptop, you're going to buy this stuff. If this money sink doesn't um, become fruitful, mm. I have a new laptop and I have the ability to record myself and I can make my own record. That's good. That, so, take, that takes the pressure off you too, Yeah, because right? it's One, like, okay, I spent five grand on my second record. Mm. It cost five grand to make. It was mm. like 18 songs. It was mm. really uh, a really big undertaking. Mm. But I spent less than that on the gear at the beginning. <laughs> so I thought, this is my third record. Yeah. And funnily enough, like I haven't cut that record yet. Mm. That third record, I've become too busy. Like every single time I have a bit of momentum on my own music <laughs> yeah. now, a new project comes in. And when someone else, we were talking about this earlier, but like when someone else is passionate, like you meet them, mm. you don't, you don't under passion them. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to come in with the same level or yeah. else like they're going to find somewhere else to work with. And that's not from like a, a fake set. You have to be real about it. Yeah. So in the end, like I normally like if I'm working with someone, it's all in. And the problem with that is, is it's exhausting. Yeah. So when I've finished a project, it's the most proud like beautiful thing. I feel mm. like the people that come in, their family, um, well, and I when it's done, they leave. 
and then I'm too tired to make my own record. <laughs> and then I recover, and then by the time I actually start getting the wheels turning again, some other dick gets some, <laughs> some other person's knocking at the door. Yeah. So when you when you had come back, I mean, presumably you didn't just take the first apartment and. Or did you have to move when oh, you were this. trying to find the studio? Yo, or? this is really funny. So I was in the weeds about acoustical engineering as well. So like, the thing about uh, recording music is there's so many veins, right? Mm. Like you can be really good at sound. Mm. You can be really good at mic placement. You yep. could be really good at production. You could be really good at post-production. Yep. You could be really good at mastering. You could be good at acoustical engineering. Like there's... Brickling. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's all these Leaving facets. The gaps. <laughs> and even like website building, right? Like yeah, this yeah. all became an extension of, I want to have a good time making music. Yeah. So um, I got in the weeds of acoustical engineering. And before I moved back to Korea, when Nina and I were looking for an apartment, I had her like measuring the apartment to make sure that mathematically the sound would bounce off the walls <laughs> yeah. in a specific way that wouldn't cause pockets of dead noise because if you have like a a, a sound wave a sound is a wave right and if you have a wave that's positive and then a wave that's negative in the same frequency they cancel each other out Mm. so you have areas in certain rooms that actually like cancel themselves out Mm. so the problem is is in korea a lot of apartments are concrete so pretty much every sound is bouncing okay um you need treatment in order to kind of like fix that so when we were moving i got my girlfriend like measure the measuring tape so this was well well calculated and the height of the room and i found a place in yonsan that worked we liked the apartment it was a loft space we had a bed up in the top we had a kitchen through another door and a bathroom and then i just used the main room as my studio oh the the beginning ah you i thought like the living room yeah the living room was my studio ah i imagined still now no now we've moved i was gonna say it looked like it was off to the now i've got like a specific i have the master bedroom of our house Mm. which is also dope Mm. (laughs) because i've got oh you know clients have their own bathroom and i've got a locker which is like supposed to be a closet with mics and all sorts of stuff in there Ah. Um, master bedroom but yeah so like i'm now using a smaller space than i used in yonsan but i have so much treatment in that room it's it's i would say it's probably maybe like three times bigger than this room Mm. uh, around there um, I've crammed a lot in there. There's a mm. full drum kit. There's a piano, an 88 key piano. I have a huge recording desk. Like everything is all in a small room. But oh. the fact that um, that I have this space and the dimensions are okay, the mm. fact that I have this space to be creative and I don't have to leave the physical space, yeah. it's so much better. Because Yonsen was too difficult because the studio actually took up so much space that we couldn't live there. Yeah. So we ended up renting two places. Yeah. And then we were living in one. But then I had to put on pants if I wanted to work. (laughs) I realized that like just traveling down a flight of stairs to get to my studio prevented me from working as much as I as I wanted to. Absolutely. So when we moved, we were actually flight of stairs. It really was. (laughs) It was the barrier. Like uh, it normally, you know, it's like there's that meme of the Cheeto holding the door closed with like the lock. It's like that's what it was for me. Walking down that flight of stairs was the Cheeto holding the door closed. It gets longer and longer every year. No, it's something weird though. Like it's a very decisive factor I think because Eunice the dorms are lower level than the labs mm. so uh, when I used to go by bike it's easy to go from lab to dorm <laughs> <laughs> but the climb is difficult so I would delay myself like oh let's go one hour later <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but the, but the moment you have the thought of going to dorm it's like oh boo <laughs> hmm. what about uh, I mean when Zach came in here and recorded his episode we the next day someone calls like oh they had a party it was too loud in there blah 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 we got some heat for that oh yeah which it wasn't even that loud right right how do you have a full drum kit in a 
in a so, in a Korean house. Yeah, interesting. Um, Do you rent all the apartments around you too? <laughs> well, I, I had to take a lot of precautionary measures. Thankfully, like I have never had a complaint. Mm. Which we've had parties in the house and got complaints for noise, but yeah. my recording has never got a complaint. So That's a amazing. couple strict guidelines uh, I have. I, I record from like nine to six mm. maximum. Nice. Normally, I actually like say five mm. to most people, and then if it extends to six, it happens. Mm. But that's a pretty tiring day as it is. Mm. I normally don't even eat those days. Mm. Like I grind from mm. Saturday and Sunday. Those are the days where I'm recording and it's like, it's intense. Yeah. Um, but so the drum kit was a problem I needed to solve. And I had made enough money in the studio at this point to pay for this extra piece of gear. So that was mm. part of the philosophy of the lean business. Don't buy anything if you can't afford it. Mm. So I didn't buy a single piece of gear if I didn't make the money from my studio. That nice. was the original thought. Yeah, yeah. So by 2018, I paid for everything I had. I had this ridiculous nice. amount of gear list. I had my dream studio. Mm. Like I imagined it probably in 2013. Next I, to your bedroom. I finally had it. Yeah, mm. right. Right next to my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, with the dream studio, it's like there was there was nothing <laughs> A lot else of banging in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, banging in every room. So <laughs> the drums were um, the trickiest one because that was the thing that caused me the most amount of time. Mm. Um, you're, you're talking a full drum set, not like yeah. the not the pad drums. So this the electric is pad this drums. is where I wanted to make sure that it was it was legit. Mm. So I didn't want to buy an electric drum kit mm. if a uh, it looked crap because. Mm. Aesthetically, that's important when someone walks into a studio that it looks nice and it's clean. Mm. And so I didn't want this little rubberized thing that didn't feel like a drum kit. So yeah. what I ended up purchasing, I did some research. I bought an ATV uh, a, a artist drum kit, something mm. like that. I can't remember the full name of it. It's not relevant really. Um, but uh, it's, it's an acoustic kit. And inside the drum, they actually have microphones pc ah, microphones okay, okay, okay. so there's let's just say a snare drum for mm. example um there's three pzos in a triangle formation along sort of maybe i don't know two centimeters in from the edge of yeah. the rim of the drum um, and what happens then is those pzo microphones can calculate where your stick is hitting and how hard it's hitting it. Oh. And then it programs, it uses a drum brain. So you use a cable, you plug mm. the cable into the acoustic drum. Uh, the acoustic drum then sends that information through the cable into this drum brain and the drum brain translates it into ones and zeros. Mm. The drum brain itself, uh, I spent more than the drum kit mm. because I wanted to make sure that if I was getting something, it wasn't going to sound like a, an electric drum kit. Mm. It needed to sound real. Mm. So a product was made by Pearl where they actually recorded drum kits in like NRG and these massive studios in America. Um, it's a real drum recording. So what uh... happens is they would have someone hit a drum as soft as possible I think it's it's a round ah, robin. I gotcha, okay. My drum kit is a round robin of 30. Hmm. So you could hit it the exact same velocity and it'll be 30 different versions of that. Ah. And there's 127 different velocities. Ah. So ah, okay. one drum kit, one snare drum is like five gig. Like it's crazy. Okay, it's okay, huge. Okay. Um, so you're preloading drum sounds kind of into your drum kit and depending on where you hit it, that's been pre-recorded. Yeah. Yes. And, that and not only pre-recorded with one microphone, because drums are insane. Yeah. It's recorded by 15 microphones. And that snare drum is being recorded by overheads, by an under mic, by an over mic. Okay. And I have control over the blend of those mics. Ah, yeah. Jesus. So it's like, it's insane. Yeah. What how, it ends up being, that all comes from the brain? Yes. Yeah. How much is that thing? Five grand. 
But I mean, but no, but you can do anything. And this is the thing: is the value proposition for me is this is expensive. Buying these drums is an additional ten grand for my studio, roughly. So in order to justify this payment, how much time is this going to save me? How much more production am I going to get? And quality, quality. Thank you, because we're talking about the drum kits in bars. Mm. The skins are beat up. (laughs) The cymbals are cracked. Everything is. It's just a mess, you know. So this is like a acoustic looking but electric drum kit. Yes, and actually feels fairly real. The only thing that doesn't is the cymbals are rubber. Hmm. Um, it's a pretty soft rubber compared to a lot of other drum uh, kits. But it's not you banging get, and crashing in an apartment. Yeah, you get a little bit of a, 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 a thud mm. rather than a nice ding. Yeah. And it doesn't get as much bounce back as you'd expect. So to compensate, I have a couple different drum sticks to help drummers out. Um, in the end, the one thing about the drum kit that I can definitely say is it's made my life so much easier. Yeah. My drum uh, recordings are actually... I never thought they'd get this good, but the last two songs I've cut have been the best drums I've ever made. Awesome. And I don't think that I could ever have got there on acoustic Mm. kits just because of the factors of is the kit well maintained? Mm. Is is the space good? Is the player good enough? Like all these things. What do the drummers, is it, I mean, do you, what kind of feedback do they give? Is it weird? Like, I mean, for oh, lots of them, it must be their first time. It's it's always a weird thing, right? Like, imagine being a, a, an electric, or sorry, an um, a, a engineer for cars mm. and then buying an electric vehicle. Mm. It's like, it doesn't compute for a lot of people at the beginning. Yeah. Like, yeah, imagine being a mechanic and then being like, actually, I'm going to buy a Tesla next. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. I can fix the other one. I can use the other one. Right. I know how to, I know the yeah. notes of the other one. But um, for... Every single person that's come into the studio, hearing the drums as the final product has been, from the feedback that I've got from them, has been one of the best, if not the best experience they've ever had recording drums. The one thing that I do, and I always warn them before they play, the cymbals are a bit odd. You're Mm going to get used to it. Try a couple of different sets of sticks. I have a couple of sets of sticks that have like foam inserts inside through the stick. So they bounce better off of the rubber. So there's little factors that you you can compensate for. A corked bat. (laughs) Oh, it's incredible. Like editing drums with 10 microphones as audio is a nightmare. If Mm. you try to move, like let's just say the snare drum is not played in the exact right Mm. time. In order to move that one hit, you've got to move every single microphone uh, because it's getting picked up by all of them. Whereas in the digital space, if he's missed the note, I can literally move it on my computer. Yeah. And it's just a little tiny move. Oh, um, so the one big problem that most people run into with electric drums is they over edit. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing that I've gotten. That's the first mistakes that I made. Yeah. yeah way over edit. It I, sounds like a robot. I try and do it here too sometimes. Yeah. It's a, it's, cut every space out and you're like, yeah. Exactly. It's really, yeah. really difficult. And yeah. you've got all these mics too. Like there's a lot of microphones to worry about. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the uh, the drum editing has become so much easier. Um and it allows the musicians to be creative too, right? Like yeah. miking up a drum kit takes four hours if you're good. Yeah. And if you're bad, it takes one, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes four hours to get a good mic up drum kit. I don't care who you are. It yeah. takes four hours. So is this what professional studios are using, this same kind of... No, the pro studios room? would be set up all the time the for... The, the massive studios yeah. have a drum room where those microphones don't move and they stay on the same kit that is well-maintained by someone who gets paid to maintain the kit. Yeah. You know? um, so I guess the... The value proposition is the fact that I can get the same quality of sound because the sounds that are being used on my drum kit were recorded in their expensive studios. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm able to do it in maybe a third of the amount of time. That's awesome. And with without the expense of renting out. So that's why I wondered, like in those, if it, if you can get the quality with saving the time, why? 
I, I get that. And it yeah. sounds like, dude. I think that's the big transition, especially COVID has really highlighted the problem with a lot of uh, big institutional organizations, like a big studio that's an institution like mm. Abbey Road. Okay, like they're making all their money today because of a name mm. or because of the name of an engineer. In the end, home studios or project studios like mine mm. that have the same quality of product mm. at a, a fourth of the price, uh, way less than that, probably a tenth of the price, um, everyone's going to turn that way. Of course. you know. And no one, if you got three pairs of socks to buy, mm. one pair costs $100, mm. One pair costs a dollar. Mm. Actually, your buddy will give them to you for free, but they might stink like beer. <laughs> uh, or there's a pair of socks for 25 bucks. Mm. Which pair of socks are you going to buy? Yeah. Everyone's going to buy. The beer socks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone. Except you for said hey. go lean, man. Go yeah. lean. Hey, unnecessary most people, cost. Most people will find that, find that really good sweet spot. And I guess that's the one thing that I'm going to try to transition when I move to Toronto is try to get this business open back up in the capacity where I'm able to find that same mm. value proposition. I know that I don't have the name that a lot of engineers have. Yeah. I know that I have the product that a lot of engineers want mm. or that musicians want. And um, all I need to do is uh, just find what's the price point that people are willing to pay in the big TO because I know it's a heck of a lot higher than in, in Korea. Yeah, and I just got to figure out what that is. Um, and once I find that, it's just a matter of building the book again. Which it's a lot easier the second time. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. no, what uh, when you're when you're considering clientele and you say you know your name gets out there and people talk or whatever, is there ever a time when you go, like, like you said, you, you may use it a different name when you're meeting people the first time just until yeah. you get to know. Is there ever a time where you say, no, I don't want this gig. Yeah, well, like you must run into. I mean, it's difficult. You're at the beginning, you're looking for people, you want to build it, but is there every time we go, yeah. holy shit, this is not, yep. this is too much. Any genre of music? I mean, how, how do you shut someone down or how do you, <laughs> how do you re refuse or reject a... Well, I'll give anyone a shot the first time. So normally okay. when I start with someone, so I have, um, excuse me, I've got a bit of like a, uh, a business model where I've discovered over time that I don't want to interact as much as possible to maximize time actually working. Mm. So I built my own sort of like CMS content management system. Mm. So I start with, hey, you can go to my website and just quickly fill out the form, tell me about your band if I mm. meet them in person and they want to record with me or they find me through my website or something. So in that first interaction, mm. I let them know what it's going to cost for doing the project. Mm. And then I just wait mm. and I get a notification, hey, you haven't responded to this person in like a month. Or they haven't got back to you. Mm. Okay, so like I'll get back to them. Hey, how you doing? Then. How's your project going? Like whatever. Um, and if I, like honestly, the analytics have shown me that like a lot of people when they make first contact, they take four between four and six contacts again. Mm. It's average before they before they want to work with me. Um, and like it's not even like a hassling. It's like I'm gonna give them the space to figure out. But most of the time, it's like hey, thanks for following up again. Like you know, I've been really like trying to get this song written, yeah. and I just kind of lost track of things. I'm getting yeah, busy. Yeah. No worries, man. Like let me know when you're ready. Yeah. I'll, I'll check in again and see how you're doing. Hell and um, in the end, it's like that's if I was a friend with someone and they're like, hey, I'm gonna write a song. Cool, man. I want to hear when you're done. Mm. And then a month goes by. If I don't ask him about his song that like he just poured out to me, like he opened up to yeah, me, yeah, like, yeah. I'm a bit of a dick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so like, yeah, like these people I want to be friends with. I want to have a good relationship with them. And it starts with just kind of communicating that at the beginning. Um, and then after that happens, once we've decided to work together and we actually join in, um, my content management system guides them through everything. So like 
if they're really involved and want to be like fully reading everything, they can understand every nuance of my project. Oh, cool. They don't care. They just want to walk in and record. Yep. There's a little link to book. They they book time with me. Come in, record in their own. Yeah, it know. goes into my calendar, so yep. I don't have to think about it. I look at my phone in the morning. Cool, I'm recording with this person today. Yeah. And that's nice. it. And that's Obviously. my daily process. So the less brain power that I have to do businessy sure. things, the more I can be creative. Absolutely. And the same with them too, right? Like they, like no one wants to faff around with like messaging back and forth. Oh, I can't come on Saturday. I'm busy taking my kids skating. Okay, yeah. like, okay, well, if you can't come on Saturday, maybe you can come on Sunday. I'm free Sunday. Mm. Uh, maybe Sunday. I'll let you know tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Instead, okay, just book it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I'll be there and you'll be there and you'll be ready and I'll be ready. Cutting the bullshit. So what about when yeah. Buddy comes and maybe he didn't read the all the stuff online or whatever and he's a bit of an asshole so or something? So I think that my, my content management system has helped me weed out a lot of people. Okay. Because in a lot of ways, I've... I, recently i've not had a lot of problems with working with people that i've had to be like you know what i don't know if we can work together anymore mm. um i have had in my entire career one person based on creative differences that i suggested to them mm. that maybe they try working somewhere else mm. what are some properties of these people who you don't want to work with that was yeah one of my big questions what <laughs> yeah, would be yeah. the what would be the uh... i think a lack of vision is one of the things mm -hmm. because i think that what uh what sometimes what people want is a bit ethereal to them. Like they don't understand it yet. Mm. It's just out there mm. and they have trouble grasping either the words or the concept. Mm. Um, and the difficult thing as a producer is you could give them something that they are describing to you, but it's not what they thought they mm. described to you. Mm. So um, that's a difficult thing because when you're, when it's a band, it's easy because they wrote the song, they've created everything on their own. They're coming to you to capture it. Yep. But when you're actually producing it, it's like, hey, I have this idea for this beat. And I want it to be like this. And I'm like, cool, can you send me a reference? And then I'll listen to their reference and then I'll make something pretty similar yeah. or like in the in the ballpark. And they're like, ah, like, no, like this isn't it at all. I'm like, it's mm. the same tempo. It's yeah. the same key. It's the same instruments. The only thing that's different hasn't been communicated. Very yeah. well to me. <laughs> so like, I don't know what else to do. So there was one scenario where I had to actually be like, you know what? Like, I think I'll give you the song as it is. Mm. I'll give you half off the price because obviously we're not finishing. Mm. It's not like we can't move forward if you don't like it. Yeah. And I can't really sink any more time with the cost. So I don't do anything other than recording. I don't do anything by dollars per hour. I do everything mm -hmm. by project price. Yep. Just mostly because I think it keeps bands in, in a better head state. You know? They know how much they're paying. It's yeah. not like, oh, shit, come on, boys. Exactly. You're going to get this done. Yeah. That is so uncreative. When we, and and the, we also never have to talk about money. That's mm. the best part because I'm pretty good at understanding you're a four-piece band. You're recording one song that's going to take us two and a half days to record. Mm. That's X amount of dollars. And if we go over by half a day, I'll eat that cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't bother yeah. me. How, how long does it take for a song, typically? Um, I'm in a four-piece band. Yeah, it depends on a lot of things. But, uh, for instance, I'm recording the stops right now. Old song stops. And... Uh, Normally a song with them, like we'll finish drums in after we set up because Toby plays opposite handed. Mm. Like he, he doesn't play drums like the normal. Sorry, player. buddy, can't do it. <laughs> so we've got to like reconfigure the drum kit every time, but it's not a big deal. But we actually spend just as much time reconfiguring the drum kit as we do recording. Mm. Mm. And um, yeah, they're a unique band because we actually record everything live in the room. So like we'll have an interface like you've got here with mm. all the mics plugged into it. Yeah. I've got two guitars going into my system. Oh. I've got a bass guitar going in. I've got the microphone going in and I've got all of the drums going in. So the recording is actually not to a click track, all individual recordings. It starts out as a jam. Oh, nice. okay. And then I've got the drums. I edit the drums to be 
you know, if there's any mistakes, quickly fix them. If mm. there's any really bad glaring timing issues, fix them. Mm. But what I end up doing is I end up using the drum kit as being the tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The drum kit is the new tempo for the song. Beautiful. So then what we do is just simply replace. Okay, we'll mute the, the bass guitar. And then the next day, oh, it's actually, so the drums are done in a half day. Mm. Um, the bass takes a couple of hours. We'll record the bass one day. We'll record a guitar that same day. Uh, the yeah. two rhythm guitars. Uh, so in the end, yeah, I think f- with like a, a really well rehearsed band, like the stops, um, a production from beginning to end for recording would take about th- between three and four days. I would for say one, for one song. For one song. Wow. Um, and these aren't these um, are. Am I crazy? Like I, yeah, I thought maybe like. Five or six hours? No, it's long. It's long. So, like, we got to go in and. I mean, mean, does that surprise you guys or no? Yeah, 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 it does. I would think. I thought a couple of days. I thought a weekend for a song. The the hardest part is the. um, So, in the jam session, it sounds good, right? Everyone in the band is playing uh, their parts Mm. and everything sounds good. But what you get out of that first recording is you get a microscope uh, into all the potential areas that things could be better. Because it's recorded and you have the individual uh, independence of listening to each track. Yeah, yeah. So say, hey, the bass guitar is doing this, but the guitars are doing this in this part. And I think they're fighting each other. Mm. So then we'll discuss that. And then wow. we'll try to figure out how we can change that part a little bit mm. to fix it and tweak it to make it better. Yeah. Um, and, and we do this. Do that? Yeah, we'll do it together. Okay. I mean, the band oftentimes notices stuff that I don't mm-hmm. notice. Um but that process really—I wouldn't notice any of it. First <laughs> <laughs> place, so, sounds great. <laughs> we get to—we normally get to the point where, like, the song, the mus—the music of the song is complete, and I've actually fully edited everything. And then it's vocals, and vocals are a completely different beast because mm. you can have a terrible song, like instrumentally recorded. You could have terrible bar drums. Mm. You can have uh, a guitar that was not recorded well or didn't even use an amp, like mm. it used like a plug-in on the computer. Um, like you could have that kind of stuff that doesn't sound great, mm. but you have a great singer and you really focus on getting a good vocal performance. Mm. The song can be a, a smash. It mm. can sound awesome. And there's so many examples of this. Like um, in general, when you listen to like a lot of old, like for me, I think that Nirvana recordings don't sound great. Mm. I think they sound of a time. I think they're they're kind of unique the way they sound, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're good productions. Mm. Like I think the mixes are kind of crap, you know? <laughs> um, and maybe I'll get put on a skewer for that. But Cancel. Like, <laughs> no, but, but realistically, like I think some of the best productions out there, there was so much focus on all these individual, like to me, Fleetwood Mac Rumors is one of the best uh, produced albums. Um, maybe Dark Side as well. Obviously, everyone references Dark Side. Go get my Dark ocean Side. spray. I'm thirsty. <laughs> but like uh, Fleetwood Mac's record, the genius thing that they did is they actually they composed their record as if they were producers so no one is actually playing in the same frequency range Mm -hmm. like a guitar player is not playing in the same frequency range as another guitar player like it's intentional Mm -hmm. um and and i guess in the studio what that's what we spend a lot of time on is making sure that nothing is fighting each other and when it gets down to like vocal recording it's literally like that was good there's a joke with everyone that i work with i always say hey that was really good let's do it again Mm -hmm. Oh, you just yeah, want yeah, more, yeah, more, yeah. more and more and more. I honestly, man, like, and I'll record genuinely for a verse of the first verse of the song, especially because it's the first thing that people will hear. It might take honestly, like, between fifteen and thirty takes. Wow, wow. for a verse, and some people can nail it in the first one. Yeah. And, and we end up going back to the first one and being like, actually, your best energy was there. And then we're going to use that as the template for the rest of the song. Don't don't they get tired and and burnt out of? I don't want to do anything 30 times in a row. Like it, it's a goddamn job. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I get, I get 
Yeah. But you're like, don't, they must, you must get frustrated after a while. I don't I've, mean you, I mean them as musicians. I've like, had to adjust with certain people. So I've had one person who he didn't enjoy and I could see that his performance because of his headspace. Mm. His headspace became a bit negative because I would ask things to be done again. Right. Um, and so he ended up preferring mm. with its flaws, one take and then another full take and then done. Mm. And then listening back to them and be like, okay, and I could live with that because I can also edit like a boss, mm. right? Like I can, I can like fix vocals. People talk about auto tune, like it's this tool where it's gonna like ruin the music. But in a lot of ways, like there's like this perfect take, and this mm. guy doesn't want to record another version. Yeah. He doesn't want to record a, a second dub mm. to fix that one little thing. But the only way to get it in the right key of the song mm. is to tune it. Um, it doesn't need to be Why? noticeable. It doesn't yeah. need to sound like T-Pain. You yeah. can actually make it so <laughs> organic that no one can hear it. Yeah. Actually, every single production that I've ever made, every single vocal is tuned. Yeah. Micro amounts mm. and also timed, right? Well, like I, uh, emphasis yeah. on words. People are in imperfect. Yeah. So if you're singing a full song, especially if you're singing a full song, mm. your timing is going to be bad because you're going to be out of breath. Mm. You're not going to be able to hit the right <laughs> nuances. And this is live shows too. You listen to like Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses try to do a chorus of paradise city he mm. can't get through the course anymore yeah you know take me down by the time he gets to the end of it he's out of breath yeah. do you think do you think a, a song should be perfect in the end or do you like the we've talked about it before but i mean listening to some of the older records where yeah uh, whether it's the beatles or even i i've pointed out before and in, uh, in grace two in the hip you can hear the fingers like sliding on sure, the yeah. sliding on the strings and um I, I don't know i can't remember what beatles tune it was but i read it took them maybe 11 takes yeah. And, and like the 11th take, it just, well, and, and, I and think, it's done. You know? I think that there's one philosophy that fixes this entire debate because mm. there's purists out there that will listen to this and they'll say, well, if the, if the it purists, should be perfect, do we well, use the technology say, to perfect it? Who or? is this guy thinking that everything needs to be like these digital drums? And yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that the, the guiding philosophy is the production mm. shouldn't get in the way of the song. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah that's all. If, if the song is meant to be imperfect. If mm. the song is meant to be one acoustic guitar, take breathy, slidey fingers, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it should be. Okay. But then it's going to be a great, perfect song because of those imperfections. Okay. And some of my favorite songs are like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite songs I ever listened to, um, it's a bit of a background story, but I won't get into the song and, and the situation why it was so impactful mm. to me. But like, I was wa on a walk with headphones in and I could hear her chair creaking and I could hear her breathing. Mm. And I actually like... I like cried, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. Like I was, like, I was blown yeah. away by the song, and like to this day, like that was the bar for me. It's like this song emotionally hit me because of these human elements. So, those things aren't lost on me. But um, I think in general, um, to get out of the way of of what the song needs, mm. sometimes you just need it to be. You need to uh, have confirmation that it is the right thing. Mm. So. I can say probably with fairly good accuracy that 99% of people, the first take isn't the one we use. Yeah. Um, for me, myself even, it's normally like the sixth take where I realize how I want my voice to come across. Okay. How loud do I want to be? How close to the mic should it be? Um, how emotional should I be? Do I need to build that emotion through the verse? There's so much in but a voice. It's so there, much. Yeah. And then you can make one tweak, but then your pitch was bad. Oh yeah. shit, now I gotta do this again. You know? <laughs> you, oh wow. You, you so mentioned much. you yeah. mentioned multiple times just at hockey and whatever and telling me stories that your editing skills have improved drastically and you've cut down so much time. Oh yeah, yeah. So if one of these would normally take three, four, five days, what would it have used to taken you? Um 
I think in the uh, early days, like tuning vocals used to take me a very long time. Like we're talking, I, I would slave over it with one song to, to edit all the vocals to a quality that no one can notice that I touched it. I mean, that would have taken me days. Mm. And now I can do that in about two hours. Oh, I can, nice. <laughs> and actually, well, that's, that's the, what I do is actually hockey games are on from about nine o'clock till about one o'clock. Nice, I actually yeah. watch hockey games and tune vocals. Like nice. the, the game is on on mute, and I'm yeah. watching it, and I can actually do it from periphery. Like nice. it's it's the best. I have two screens, one oh. on the bottom here, one on the top. I can, do other, I can do other stuff now. That's a work-life balance. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you, nice. you, well, you got to watch the hockey, right? You're not Canadian if you don't catch so, at least two games a year. So, so it, it's cut out days of work. Days. Days yeah. and days of work. Actually, and this is the big thing. It's like I realized that in order to make more money mm. in recording music, to make it more of a profession, yep. without being able to raise my prices, there's two things that I need to do. One, I need to become lightning fast at everything that like I don't have to think about it. And oftentimes when I'm explaining something to someone, I'm actually doing it in front of them. Mm. And this is the one thing like I uh, I think it might have been Patrick from the stops that said, whatever you just did, like you did it as you're and this part sounds a hundred times better. Yeah, yeah. And like all I did was like you know open up an e- equalizer and boost the top end in this specific instrument to make it pop through. Yeah. But like not even having to think about that it becomes hmm. like my second mouse nature. pad yeah, yeah. is second nature yeah. so yeah um it's it's really valuable i actually took a course in speed mixing and speed editing so mm, like nice. i i fully decided i'm going to invest i spent like I don't know, a thousand bucks mm. on these courses and 10 it's like, bucks you can edit on speed oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> this thing is like, thing is like uh, what's, what's the what's the value of this course to me like most yeah. people are not gonna want to take this course it's super expensive but it was taught by these guys that i know are really professional like they work in in a lot of spaces they had 30 songs in 30 days i had mm. to mix so i had to, I had to mix a day and that uh, mental process of preparing myself i'd go to bed at night and i'd finish setting up the mix mm. i'd wake up in the morning and i'd do the mix but, yeah. mm-hmm. and and i got them my mix time for, we used to be probably a week to mix a song mm. I got that down to about four hours Beautiful. to actually mix the song. Yeah, worth a thousand bucks. Yeah, and then it became a Pareto's principle thing because if you do something for a full week, mm. right, you become too emotionally attached to it. It becomes something that if a band would give me a note, yeah. I'd be fighting my own ego in order to debate whether that note was worth switching. Yeah. Well, that's not a productive uh, learning uh, yeah. business environment. You want to be open to change. So yeah. in order to be open to change, you have to be less attached to, to the product. But in order to be less attached, you have to work quicker. Yeah, For yeah. me, anyways, that was the that was the brain thought. So um, nowadays, I can get my mixes to probably 80% of the way there with 20% of the work. Beautiful. What used to take me... I was flip, that used to be flipped on its head. That Pareto's principle of mm. you know eighty percent of the product right. takes twenty percent of the work. Mm. I was actually doing like eighty percent of the work for twenty percent of the feedback. Yeah. But nowadays I can like get out the mix. I can gauge with that first mix that I send a client how do they like the way that I do things. Yeah. How are my balances like with drums compared to bass compared to vocals? Yeah. And honestly, oftentimes. It'll happen where they'll be like, I don't have a lot of notes. Like, what should I be looking for? Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't, do you love it? Do you like it? Like, <laughs> I'll send it right now. And then they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay. So like, if there's anything that you're thinking about that you want to change or like that, mm. and sometimes that's the conversation. But I was, I also always have like my own notes. So I'll do a first mix. It takes me very little time, maybe three to four hours. Mm. 
but then I'm listening to that song all day. I have a bus test where I listen to like my Apple, yeah, yeah. my Apple Pod things. Yeah, yeah. Stick them in, and if I notice something on the bus, it has to change because yeah. this is a consumer feedback like level thing, right? <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I hear a snare drum or I don't hear a snare drum yeah. while I'm going through the bustling city, then I probably need to turn snare drum up. Uh -huh. I shouldn't nice, be super nice. attached about the level that I set yeah. because it didn't take me all that much time. What well, do do they do? Most recorders, re groups, bands, whatever, do they have specific requests or? Are a lot of them just, hey, I just play my drums or play my guitar and I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, well, hey, it sounds great. Part of my CMS is actually asking them about certain things like this. So like in one section, it's like, uh, tell me about yourself area of my website where I just want to know, like, what are your influences as a band? What kind of songs do you want to sound like? If the drums were going to sound a certain way, let's say for uh, uh, making a drummer happy, like what are the records that you think sound really good? And, and how can I incorporate that into, into right. your music mm. with me? Cool. Uh, same nice. with singers and stuff. Like, who's the song? Who's the artist that you really like that you want to sound like? Okay, well, if they're singing in the same range and they have a similar sounding voice, I can tell them, yeah, we can definitely get there. Mm. But if it's not, I actually be like, you sing in a completely different octave. Mm. Like, this, this, <laughs> this, this style that you're wanting to sound like, maybe we should look at some other and we'll, you know, we'll bounce back and forth yeah. with some influences and some uh, references. And I actually, I end up using these references in my mixing. So the only way to get down to four hours of mix mm. is to have a process where there's little variant. Yeah. Um, so I have templatized my entire yeah. business, yeah. not only with the CMS and dealing with clients, um, not dealing with uh, interacting with clients yeah, yeah. and having a very specific process. So I don't miss anything because yeah. if I miss something and I don't say, oh, we're supposed to pay 50% before you come in. Mm. Uh, well, then I'm the asshole at the door that's expecting money and they don't have the money and yeah, now we've yeah. got a problem. Right. So I'd rather that like, everything be super, super clear. Yep. So uh, my mixing process is the same. The idea of... I have a template, I drop, I, I actually edit in a different program, mm. same program, different session. Mm. I re-import all the audio as audio. So there's no more electric instruments. There's no more electric drums. It's actually physical drums. The drum kit is 10 mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And when I get there, I drop it into all the locations that it needs to go. Mm. I start with the master, which mm. is like looking at the master faders. Yeah. I'll do a little bit of EQ to make sure that the, everything's starting to sound good. And after I've done a couple macro moves, I'll move into literally this. I get the drums sounding amazing. I add the bass. Yeah. I do the lead vocals. Once those three things are locked and solid, mm. I know the song is going to be a banger. Oh, nice. Anything else is afterthought. And I hate to say that because like my favorite thing is I'm a guitar player, <laughs> guitar right? Guitar like player, I care yeah. about guitar. But like really, if I have those three, it doesn't matter what the other things mm. are. You could substitute any of those other instruments and it'll yeah. still be a good song as long as those three are anchored. Oh, but other people, like some people, it's like in, in the CMS, it's like, well, what kind of, what's your priority for instruments? Well, some people put like piano and then vocal and then this and then mm. and like at the end, it's like drums. So in those mixes, I already know like they don't want the drums loud. So mm. when I'm doing my rough mix, that's the adjustment I make. Okay, okay. I can nice. look at their nice. feedback yeah. without them really having to say it. Beautiful. I can kind of like, yeah, kind of mess with it a bit. How, awesome. how much does something like that cost? A four day, five day, one song? Um, I mean, I have, I have no idea. I think that it's probably between five and 600 bucks. 
to do a full song. So again, time investment wise, I'm telling you, like I'm not making as much oh, money shit. as I should be I'm able to, um, especially for the final product. I think that I'm undervalued for mm. or undervaluing mm. my um, to here my I come. <laughs> so I, I do know that my teeth are cut, and I know that I'm ready for some some Good. bigger uh, work. But the other thing is like the wow. the one way to route around that is in Korea. Um, What are typical prices in Korea? Oh, like they're a little bit more, but like a lot of studios just do vocals. Like, mm. You can't even like, there's <laughs> yeah, some studios yeah. that you can record your voice, but they're like, okay, well, go to the vocal mic and hold your guitar like this. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some big studios and they do <laughs> cost like quite a quite a bit of money. Um, yeah, but in the end, I don't know. I think most people end up kind of gravitating towards the thing, especially for expat foreigners. I think that was the real big niche that I ended up having mm-hmm. here. Yeah, um, that's the one big fight that I have in Toronto. Is like, okay, we're gonna be playing with the big swim with the big fish. Yeah. So that'll yeah. be really fun for me to kind of cut my teeth in a different city. That'll be really good. Well, How much of your stuff will you bring with you? Everything. I'll bring everything. Yeah, it's yeah. going to cost a pretty penny to get it on a boat, but uh, and especially with shipping prices nowadays. But uh, yeah. it's worth it. Like I have to move everything. The desk itself, I got custom made in Korea. Um, I wanted a command center. I wanted this thing, yeah. and I actually drew it out. And the company that I paid to do it made it here, and it was, it was under two grand for this desk. Beautiful. This desk, if you got, if I if I even get it back home to Canada in one piece, I can sell it for ten grand. No, no way. Yeah, the desk is crazy. You better oh. make a few more before you leave. I know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Come on, yeah, I'm gonna go get some made. No, it's very crazy. And 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 like uh, labor for that kind of thing, I couldn't believe how cheap it was here. You know. Mm. Labor is really cheap here. <laughs> Labor is cheap. Wild. But yeah, the uh, the other thing, I guess, for leveraging uh, the cost, obviously, it's difficult to make a career out of something that only pays you 500 bucks for that much work, right? Um, so like if I was full-time, you could imagine if I was full-time, I could do a song a week, roughly, on a five-day week. That would be pretty standard. So 500 bucks a week. So what are what are big studios doing? They just have more people? And, oh, yeah. Know. And like, I mean, I could get paid as an engineer and not have to worry about production and editing mm. and mixing and mastering. I could just literally put a mic on something and get, get paid 50 grand a year. Mm. Um, but again, it's just like, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, the one thing I guess with having less money um, coming to me through the studio because of how much people earn here, um, And also the other big problem is inflation, right? You've got this melting ice cube in your hand. I've got this 500 bucks I just earned from this band. Mm. So what am I going to do with this? I have no more gear I want to buy. My mm. studio's done. I've, got, I've bought everything I've ever wanted to buy. It's all done. Uh, that was 2018 was the last time I bought anything. So mm. between 2018 and 2022, however many productions I made, I just had all these melting ice cubes. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do with them? Well, I got a house in Canada, but like I'm not going to just keep paying off my mortgage. Mm. I'm not going to pay it off quicker. That's dumb. So I was like, what can I do with this money? How can I make this money work for me mm. and also allow me to continue to do what I'm doing? So um, speed, Bitcoin, pretty much been buying Bitcoin <laughs> uh, through my business. Nice. I, I've essentially turned my recording studio and, and what I will be doing with the website business as well mm. um, is just operating them on a Bitcoin standard rather than a cash standard. So the idea is that mm. cash is depreciating at 7.5% per year, yeah. which means in nine years, my cash is worth half as much as it was. Mm. So if I make 500 bucks in nine years, if that's still sitting in my bank account, it's 250. Yeah. So that sucks, right? Um, And, I, and I'm not buying any more gear. So it's mm. not being invested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if it's sitting in the bank account and, it, and if you have a legit business, then you've got to worry about, oh, I can't take it as wage because then I'm going to get taxed more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what am I going to do with these businesses where I can make money and maybe undercharge compared to my competition, but still come out ahead of them? And the idea is just... Crypto. 
Yeah, operate on a Bitcoin standard allows me to be careful about my purchases, first of all, because I'm not going to want to buy a drum kit if I don't necessarily need it. I'm not going to blow the money because of this melting ice cube situation. Mm. I'm not just going to blow it on something I don't, it's superfluous. Yeah. Um, it allows me to just channel that economic energy into the future. I know I'm not going to be spending it over the next year, so I don't care about the volatility mm. of day to day. I don't know, I can't tell me how many times I get a message every week it's down five grand every time yeah. bitcoin crashes ten thousand dollars i get a message from somewhere are you okay like of course i'm okay <laughs> but like i don't get any messages when it goes up you know 200 sure. i, I definitely the, get it when it goes down 30 i love the investing investing in korea uh facebook page bitcoins up it's like bro i got this many bitcoins it goes down it's crickets yeah. for months well and this is the, thing, is the biggest problem that everyone has is they're trying to get rich quick and actually the, the yes. real the real thing about bitcoin that is a saving grace and most people are going to come to realize eventually is that like it allows me to do a job that i can be undervalued and just be a passionate worker, worker yeah. and i can use the funds rather than taking salary i can just use it as like i don't know you can do a company with shell company and then shell company holds the money yeah. and then that money is invested in this vehicle that's appreciating at 150 percent per year over the last 12 years mm. incredible yeah. okay great so now i don't have melting ice cubes now i've got the ice age happening yeah, yeah, yeah. and and now <laughs> i'm actually right. able to talk about this business okay i want to record more music but i don't necessarily need to charge more money yep yeah. I can. I have the ability to do that and the freedom to do that because I'm making money on my money awesome. without thinking about it. Awesome. I'm not sat here timing the market and being like, "Oh, now is the best time to buy Bitcoin. Get it yes. now!" No, like I'm buying it every day. Yeah, I'm buying it in small amounts. Here's fifty bucks. Here's another hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, it's every single every single day. I got the spare penny. And nice. when you're when the financial strain isn't on top of you, you even mentioned when. Uh, you like to sort out the finances before bands come in. Right. When money is out of the equation, you got more time to focus on the, exactly. on the product. And, and, it's, and it totally yeah. makes me um, a better engineer because I'm able to focus on what they want. Yeah. And it's less about money. Um, I, it's funny, I, I always want to have the conversation about money fairly quickly mm. after I learn about the band. Mm. And then I never want to hear about it again until we're done. Yeah. And cool. then I normally don't, like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah. And after I get to know the band, it's like, no, I don't care that you didn't bring it the first day. It's fine. I know you, I know where you live. But I will break your leg. <laughs> yeah. I actually have never had a problem with Bitcoin money. was down to I had, I didn't get it. <laughs> Guys, I, uh, I had one client that didn't pay me. I kid you not. This client was, it was crazy. He tried to pay me in uh, prescription drugs. Nice. Uh, so it, that was crazy. And then he got kicked out of the country. He had like a back problem. He got hit by a car in Korea. Mm. And then his payday was just like a whole bunch of like oxycodone. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like when he left, he owed me like 200 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not probably never going to see that 200 yeah. bucks again. Right. We had a fairly good working relationship. He's a very like brash sort of like wild person. Yeah. And I don't think that like our personalities really match at all, but he was fine to work with. Yeah. He was a rapper. It was simple. We got it done. Uh, and then uh, when he left, I didn't hear from him for a year. Mm. I followed up with him about the money twice. And I figured oh, I'll probably write it off. It's probably gone. For 200 bucks, he's out of your yeah. life. And it's <laughs> gone and it is whatever. And then I kid you not, it was like three years later. Santa showed up. <laughs> three years later, I got a PayPal from him. No way. 200 bucks. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. So hard Little. times hit him. I didn't over pursue it. I let it go. Yeah kind of came to terms with it. It's like, I didn't even learn a lesson. Like, <laughs> sure enough, it came around. And the best part about it coming around is that like, I've still like cut some stuff for him. You know, awesome. every now and then he'll be like, I've got this thing. Can you look at it? I mean, sure, man, yeah. like whatever. Deadly. So he, he nice. rebuilt the bridge and I didn't have to burn it down. It's great. And you got to sell the pills? 
<laughs> actually, that, this, that's a speed he's talking well, this about. Worked, yeah. This worked out really great because I actually, this is around when I quit smoking. I actually cracked the rib from coughing. Yeah. Oh, what the? Jesus. For real. I, yeah. I cracked the rib from that, coughing. That's a Corona cough. And I had to go, yeah. I was actually going to like a big meeting thing. A, fr- a friend was doing a talk at the thing. I wanted to go check it out and I couldn't get off the sofa. Yeah. And I'm like, well, he did leave me those things. <laughs> so like, I had like, I had not enough to be addicted, obviously, yeah. but like, yeah, I mean, got me through the day. Very nice. Probably Very injured nice. myself more, but whatever it was. Had the best day. Yeah, well, I didn't feel anything, that's for sure. <laughs> Those are quite uh, quite strong, but awesome. Dude, we're winding down here. I got one uh, one last question for you. It's flown by, guys. No, we're at uh, two and a quarter here. Yeah, yeah wow. Uh, last one. I like talking. So. With, the Super, with the Super Bowl being not so, uh, not so long ago, um, you know, I watched Eminem, 50 Cent, All My Heroes when I was 17. Sure. You know, they uh, they were the lineup. Who would you pick for your uh, your ideal Super Bowl lineup if you could uh, if you could choose uh, no one next year's? Oh, for the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, I'd love to see. Um, so the thing, the big debate that's with the Super Bowl is it's always either new age or young age. Yeah. And they never really navigate a space between. So, like, I always thought one of the most interesting collaborations is, like, was it Eminem and uh, Elton, Elton John? Elton John, yeah. So, like, why not do something like that where you've got new and old coming together? Yeah, I yeah. think that would be cool. really cool, you yeah. know? Um, and, and how many of other, other people have there been like that? There was, uh, there was another rapper with another old rock artist at one point and i can't remember who it was it might have been tom petty or someone i can't mm. remember um but yeah there's been a few of those collabs there was even like a country collab at one point with nelly back in the day oh yeah nelly. do you remember it was like nelly, nelly and like a tim mcgraw or someone yeah. i don't know oh, yeah. i don't know if that's right but... yeah i think that is right <laughs> yeah a good tune yeah, something in there would be kind of cool, yeah. I think, for the Super Bowl. Because then you'd kind of... I mean, who can complain when the old people are happy and the young people are happy? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Cool. But that man. actually, like, on record, that was the best Super Bowl performance I've ever seen. Like, halftime show. Dude, that was like eight... I was watching it with my son. And, like, my face is like, oh, hey, check these guys out. Inside, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. That's great. <laughs> that was amazing. There's one, there's the one meme. The coolest grandpa Chubby. in the world. Did you guys Chubby see that Chubby Scent meme? and Dr. Was, Gray. There was the uh, 50 Cent was hanging from the roof, right? <laughs> yeah. And there was the meme that came up. So, I'm on Twitter, and it's all Bitcoin people. Yeah. So, like, that's obviously, it's like my third passion. It's, it's you know, my studio and my family mm. and then my Bitcoin. Yeah. And, like, there's this world. Uh, I'm, I'm super involved and engaged with learning about this yeah, digital yeah. space. And so in in Twitter, it's called Bitcoin Twitter. It's just like everyone there is a Bitcoiner. And the first meme that comes out literally like 30 seconds after he's hanging from the ceiling, it's like, uh, it looks like uh, 50 cents has been experiencing inflation. <laughs> so big, you know? Oh, dude. Yeah, chubby set. He was uh, Snoop Dogg's hair is pulled back so tight. He still uh, looks like he's 22, man. Snoop does oh, a little man. shuffle there and he's just... I liked how imagine everyone saying wore, that's my grandpa. Everyone oh, wore man. black except for Snoop. He's like, now nah, fuck it, I'm going to wear blue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, that was... That's so funny. Man, Eminem, he still looks... He still looks super young, and I don't know. He does, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really impressive. It must be all the running. It's weird to to think that he it wasn't was into boxing. I think he might have been into that. He was definitely into running. He actually ran so much that his joints started having problems. Yeah, he was just running too much. Oh, Nate hey guys, thanks for having me. And this has been fun. And uh, yeah, anytime. I'd like to come back anytime. I'm only here for another couple months. But <laughs> well, if you guys want to do another podcast on any other topic, let me know. Yeah, come in and yeah. chop it up. No doubt. Sounds good. Awesome, too. Yeah, even if you want to come down. Okay, we'll talk. uh, Thanks for listening. Bye.